That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. B-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Happy Friday. Welcome in. Bald Face Truth, BFT Radio Network. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in the house. In for John Cazzano. John will be back in the chair on Monday. What a week it has been already. Can you believe it's been just one week? It's been seven short days since Pac-12 Media Day on July 21st in Las Vegas. And my, how things have changed. My, how things have changed. There is a reason Coach Prime no-showed. God bless you, Coach Prime. Prayers, health, safety to you and yours, my friend. Hope you and your uh, your two toes are doing okay. Hope that surgery went well, Coach Prime. I know you couldn't move it to any other day. I'm really sorry about that, but I hope you're doing good. Uh, Rick George, hope you're good. Hope you're well. Hope you're happy. Hope you're happy, Rick George. Hope you're happy, Phil DeStefano, because uh, you're gone. You're gone out of the Pac-12, and you're back into the the open arms, as John Cazano wrote. The open arms of the Big 12 Conference. Go freely. Fly away, little bird, and enjoy yourself in the Big 12 come 2024. But don't come crying to me when you're leaving Autzen Stadium with a 30-point loss in the conference opener. Don't come crying to me at that point. Don't come crying when you get your uh, butts handed to you by Jonathan Smith and the Beavers this year down in boulder we're off and running i'm feeling some type of way but i'm feeling good because it's a friday good things and good vibes are in the air and good things and good vibes are always the case when i look across the glass and see Stephen vaughn Stephen, what's up my dude it's uh it's a great friday nice day out uh a lot of news a lot of crazy news that just broke you know before the show starts so i'm excited about that a lot to talk about yeah I'm pumped about college football i mean I, I don't know how excited you are judah but i am uh, this this college football season is going to be so fun on the field. Like off the field, it's been a little crazy with the media talks, but realignment talk is kind of fun to me. I think it's fun when teams move conferences. Now we're getting to the, the actual games. I can't, I can't wait. Yeah, I cannot I, wait. I can't wait as well. But man, I was really pumped for the football of twenty. I I was buying what the Pac-12 was selling a week ago. Focus on the football. It's going to be great. And now I'm really having trouble focusing on the football. So maybe I'll. You'll, you'll, your enthusiasm will rub off on me a little bit. At some point in the show, we'll go through the entire Beaver schedule and the entire Duck schedule, pick some wins and losses, and see if we can't uh, find a certain level of agreement or disagreement with what we think the uh, the ultimate win-loss records will be for the schools in-state. Because who knows? I mean, we're assuming. We're assuming Oregon and Oregon State are still going to be together in the same conference uh, for the foreseeable future. But it's anybody's guess. We're all doing guesswork right now because – Obviously, Colorado is gone. They're going to join the Big 12. That was voted on and approved and announced on Thursday after Brett McMurphy initially broke it on uh, on Wednesday late afternoon. And now all the attention pivots to what's next for the Pac-12. And 
for me, my thing is, like, I'm looking at firmly at Oregon. I really think Oregon determines the, the fate of this conference, and that's not just someone being in this footprint and obviously being in this um, this part of the country and in this market in particular. But Oregon is the school with the greatest brand power, the greatest brand recognition, the best recruiting, and the best on-field success historically of any team left in the Pac-9, the Pac-blank conference. That's the other thing, Stephen. What are we calling this thing? I- I'm writing it down as the Pac-blank conference because I have really no idea what it's going to end up being. I did like Spencer's, uh, who filled in yesterday, Spencer McLaughlin. He called it the pac just the pack. I think that's all right. Um, it's better than the Pack 12 because it's not even close to 12 anymore. So I was thinking about calling it the uh, the back pack. That way, we're highlighting the academic standards. We're back. The, ba- the backpack because it's like the backpack carrying your school books, and yeah, I feel yeah. like that's what they care about more at this point anyway. Yeah, it, that is, is the school books. That is a good point. Uh, <laughs> I do agree with that they do want to talk about the uh, academics more than the athletics, which yeah. does bother me. It that's, bothers me a lot. It's part of the reason I think we're here is because so much of this comes to the presidents and chancellors and decision makers, the academics. If they were more athletically focused and athletically driven, I think media rights would probably be, be done right now. And a little bit more, you know, PR work would have been done by now. But because they're academics, they they focus on that first. They truly believe student-athlete begins with student for a reason, and they're always going to prioritize that. And it's more than just a company line. Like, it's led to their their passiveness and their patience, which obviously has has bit them in in the backside. So Media Day was just seven days ago. And so some of the sound that came out of Media Day, including George Klyovkov's appearance on this show with John Cazzano in Las Vegas, I cut up some of the sound of that, and I want to replay it because, you know, now it it feels and sounds and comes across much different, much, much different. And I also was curious, did George Klyovkov have any inkling that Colorado was going to leave? How much of Colorado's exit really caught him off guard? And I'm trying to look for clues. Some of those clues, I think, can be found in his comments at Media Day. And obviously, Coach Prime wasn't there, so I don't know if that's one of the clues that he either picked up on or failed to pick up on. Rick George was there, but he left early. He was conspicuously absent in some points. I don't know if that's another clue that George could have picked up on and didn't, or he did pick up on. I don't know. But I've got his comments from his press conference and from his appearance with John Cazzano that I want to replay uh, throughout the show as well, because now, now they sound and come across a lot more different than they did that day, given all that we know. And I also wonder, was Rick George listening to some of George Klyovkov's comments? And some of his press conference audio, Rick George may have heard and said, you know what, the time is now to get Phil Stefano on the phone and uh, and move this thing forward for our Big 12 exit. I don't really know. We're all kind of playing guesswork and... We're all curious in the same regard, but I do want to replay a lot of that audio and and get a feel for how it sounds now. Also, Rob Mullins. I want to play some of Rob Mullins' audio when he talked to John on this show, on the record, a week ago. And in that in the seven days since, Dan Landings got extended. And so hearing some of those con, uh, comments in retrospective of the extension, I think, uh, are enlightening. And also the Colorado exit, what that means. And John asked him point blank, what is Oregon's perspective on being in the Pac-12? And Rob gave a pretty interesting answer. On top of all of that is the role of the college football playoff. Because Oregon's future and their decision is going to ultimately come down to what do they prioritize? 
which certainly media rights plays into that, but also access to the playoff. That's all we've been talking about with Oregon. They prioritize access to the playoff. And John asked Rob Mullins, is that oversimplifying it? He's like, no, that's that's pretty much it. We want to get in the playoff. Well, I've been looking at the uh, terms of college football playoff expansion because everybody's assuming you win the conference, you're in the playoff. And that's likely the case, but that's not really how it's defined. What's really defined as as an automatic qualifier to the playoff in the 12-team playoff, it's the six highest-ranked conference champions. That's it. It's not you win the Pac-12, you're in. You win the Pac conference, you're in. You have to be among the six highest-ranked, you know, conference champions. Now, in all likelihood, if you win the Pac whatever conference, you're going to be among the uh, among the six. But that's not a given. You still have to be ranked ahead of the champion of the American or the champion of the uh, the Conference USA or the champion of the Mid-American or whatever. Whatever group of five champions, you still have to be ranked ahead of them. And I just wonder, even though it's unlikely, how much the College Football Playoff Selection Committee will devalue the Pac-12 if enough teams go, or if enough teams have already gone, where they will look at the champion of this conference and ultimately say, that's not better than an undefeated uh, SMU in the American, which, by the way, now you, you better go get one of the SMU's better program, or one of the Americans' better programs to help your standing. Like, if, if someone from the group of five goes unbeaten, and here you are in the pack nine, and you lose a game, I think you've got a little bit of a comparison problem on your hands because you know that the other power five champions are going to be above you without question. The PAC 12 is no longer a power five conference from the eye test. And unfortunately, when it comes to the college football playoff rankings, the eye test will still be part of it. So I don't know, Steven, like that's the one thought I have in the back of my mind We're we're saying access to the playoff is everything. And that is true. And you can have arguably better access to the playoff in a smaller conference, except the rules don't say if you win the Power Five, you're a Power Five conference title, you're in. That's not what it says. It's the six highest ranked conference champions go in. That that's what it says. And I think if you're in a, a, a conference that's small enough, I think you're vulnerable to be compared to other Group of Five schools. <laughs> it's all it's all about perception in college football, right? And we've talked about this before. Like it's unfair. That a lot of times the Pac-12, you know, got downgraded because they had bad bowl performances. Like, you know what? There's a lot of different things that factor into bowl games, and then that leads into the next season. Where I think the fact that Colorado, and I've heard this argument that it doesn't really hurt the Pac-12 because they were the worst team in the conference. You know, they had only made one Pac-12 title game. They had the worst record since they joined the league. It's not a big loss, but the reason why it is a big loss, Judah, is because you're losing a team that was already a solidified Power Five team. And they're going to the other conference where if you go out and you get an SMU, you go out and get a San Diego State, you go get, you know, what, whoever, Colorado State, Fresno State, Boise State, UNLV, which would be my hope. If you go out and get one of those teams, you're grabbing a team from a lower conference. And so everybody nationally, your perception will be, oh, well, they couldn't even keep their, you know, the power of five schools. They had to go out in the group of six and get one of those schools. So you're going to downgrade a conference and not be taken seriously. So even though Colorado was bad, and they haven't been good for years, 
the fact that they've been you know relevant at some point in their lifetime in the big time college football, that's why it's a big hurt because yeah. then the Pac-12 won't be taken seriously nationally. They already have that perception problem. So I'm with you. Like, is it? it, it think of it or from Oregon's standpoint. Like, if your goal is to get to the college football playoff, winning the Pac-12 may be your best option. But it also makes it now where there's going to be no room for error, right? Like, you're, even if you go out and you play somebody good in your non-conference, if you stumble one time in the Pac-12, you're going to get downgraded so much now because the, the conferences have looked so down upon. So it, it's a really tough situation, I think, for the Pac-12 right now to figure out what exactly they want to do. And if, and if you're a team like Oregon, like, your goal is to get the cultural playoff. Your goal is to get a national title for Phil Knight. That's what he wants. What's the best pathway to do that? I, I really don't know. Yeah, and – you would think that it's staying in a conference like the Pac Pac Nine, the Backpack Conference, whatever. But to your point, you know, if your conference is weak enough in terms of perception, then maybe your conference champion isn't one of the top six. That's I don't think that's likely, but but it's now come into play. That's that's what it's what's going on. I'll come back to this topic later in the show. I don't want to spend all, all of it right now in the opening segment, but we'll we'll get back to this. The one saving grace for a team like Oregon in a uh, smaller, you know, Pac-9 conference is Rob Mullins and Phil Knight. But I look at Rob Mullins, and the reason why is because of his experience as the chair of the College Football Playoff Selection Committee. Of any AD in this conference, he is the most networked, plugged-in um, individual with other people on the CFP. That's going to serve Oregon quite well, because, and it's serving them r- well right now, because Rob Mullins, I guarantee you, and no one's told me this, but I guarantee you, He's been talking to other people with the college football playoff committee and be like, okay, how does Oregon's perception within the college football playoff change if it's in the Pac-9 or if it's in the Big Ten or if it's in the Big 12? Of anyone, Rob Mullins has probably the best perspective and the most measured um, and educated perspective on how Oregon's perception in its own conference changes, whether or not it chooses to stay or whether it chooses to go relative to access to the playoff. That is his benefit and what sets him apart because he spent so much time on the college football playoff committee itself. The second thing, and we'll talk, we can talk about this later too, is who the hell knows if the current version of playoff expansion is going to hold up? The TV networks are the ones that put it together, ESPN in particular. What's to say they can't just tear up the agreement like they just tore up the they, current version two years earlier? They can. They can tear it up. They can and, at um, 2025, and, Yeah, That's the only season that they're, they are solidified for is for this current format is till 2025. After that, they can make up their own new system if they want to. So it's to your point, like the Pac-12s, they may be irrelevant in two seasons. So that, to me, if you're talking, you know, playoff access is everything. Well, are you going to have a seat at the table when it comes to deciding whether or not your your pack blank conference will get access. I don't know, man. That's that's why it all, you know, you can say playoff access is all Oregon cares about. Great. Do you have a voice at the table with whether or not you'll be part of it? Because even though you thought you had it for for a decade, you obviously got there twice. You thought you had it with expansion, but you can tear up these expansion terms anytime. You know, nothing is evergreen. Figure your ish out. Figure it out now. Don't leave anything up to to chance. If you do anything otherwise, you're naive. And Rob Mullins, at least he's in a position of unique perspective because he spent so much time on that chair in that committee, and I think that's pro-Oregon in this case. And I think that goes, you made this point when the news broke of Colorado leaving, how Oregon 
they control the Pac-12. They got them by the balls. They got them. And Rob Mullins is a big part of that. Phil Knight's a big part of that. Everybody's a big part of that because when Oregon decides, if they decide to, you know, go out and just explore other options, if they decide to stand pat and say, you know what, no, we're strongly with the Pac-12, they put out a message kind of like Oregon State did today. If they put out a message saying, no, we're going to stand with the Pac and we're going to roll with them until they die, that puts put the Pac-12 back in good standing again because they are the one national program that I think outside of the region really has respect of the college football world. Like if they were to leave, I think it balances the power of different conferences. So right now Oregon holds all the cards and they got to figure out what is most important to them. Is it going to be you know a geographical thing to stay in the conference or is it going to be to leave? And I don't blame them for anything right now because right now the leadership of the Pac-12 has been bad and you can't trust it. But I don't know that you can necessarily trust the Big 12. Can you trust the Big 12? I don't know if you can trust any of these conferences. So I think Oregon has a hard road ahead of them, and they're going to have to make a decision quickly, I think, uh, to really figure out what's going on here because they'll never get left in the dark. Oregon won't. But at the same time, you want to be aggressive, like you said. Don't stand pat. Be aggressive. Take it by the uh, bull by the horns and make a move. Yeah. This was Rob Mullins with John Cazano at Media Day just seven days ago. It feels like seven years ago. But uh, this was one of the interactions that was more revealing, I think, on what Oregon's uh, viewpoint on expansion and realignment and playoff access and all that. It's about a two-minute long clip, but it's revealing. You and I had talked um, off-air about uh, realignment, expansion, the media rights deal. Just want to get Oregon's viewpoint. You know, you've got a new president. Yes. But what's Oregon's motivation as it pertains to membership in the Pac-12? Well, obviously the Pac-12 has been Pac-10, Pac-8, Pacific Coast Conference. Pac-12 has been um, great for the University of Oregon. Uh, we appreciate the alliances and the partnerships that we have uh, with all the West Coast and Mountain schools, and it's extremely important to us. So we've been working really hard uh, to make sure that we can get to a deal that allows us to remain competitive and remain competitive in a changing landscape because we're allowed to do a lot more now, and those resources do matter. That media deal does matter, not only from the direct revenue from the media, but the exposure. Um, and so and, and, you know, we're very proud that we can drive a lot of that. When you look at the metrics, particularly over the last 10, 12 years, uh, of the ratings, of the interest, of the social media following. Um, so uh, we, we've been working hard uh, to make sure that we're good partners and doing everything that we can to get that deal across the finish line. I, I keep saying what matters to Oregon is getting access to the playoff. But don't let me speak for you. Is that oversimplification? No, no. I mean, that's extremely important. Again, as we talked about when yeah. the playoffs started, you know, that, that I mean, that's, it's become the focus of college football. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences in that. But, I mean, that is a huge piece. Um, and when you have the investment that we have in the sport, uh, then absolutely uh, that is a big piece of it. And, uh, maintaining some of these traditional rivalries, playing games where your fans can, can get to uh, is important as well. So that was Rob Mullins with John Cazano at Pac-12 Media Day uh, Friday of last week. <laughs> it, just, it, it definitely feels so long ago, given uh, all the news that's happened since then. Um, you know, he mentioned at the end, yeah, playoff access obviously is the most important thing. But as we've been talking about, what does playoff access look like? in the Pac-9 conference and everything moving forward. Taking some of your calls at 503-417-7575. Before we go out to break, let's go out to uh, Tony in Oregon City. 
Uh, Tony, what is going on? He, he might need to be potted up on the board. I'm not uh, not sure there, Stephen, if uh, if Tony's there or not. Yeah, I'm having a little problems. Here. Okay, well, we'll, oh, we <laughs> wait for it. Uh, there it is. 503-417-7575. Tony, hey, what's up, Tony? What's on your mind? Oh, there we go. So how many teams does the uh, um, Pac-12, Pac-10, Pac-9 have to have to be considered a Power 5 program to, to play for the championship? Does it really matter? Uh, I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if there's a minimum number of schools that you have to have to be a uh, a Power 5. I'll have to look into that. But at the very least, you need the perception of a Power 5 to be uh, to be included. And by the way, like I, like I previously said, the... College football playoff itself doesn't say Power Five champ goes goes with the automatic qualifier. It's just six highest ranked conference champions in general, which obviously includes Power Five and Group of Five. So whether or not you're a Power Five champion, like in theory, in theory, if there was a four loss Pac-12 champion, then you'd be uh, vulnerable of losing an automatic qualifier bid to a Group of Five champion. Now. That being said, you'll still probably get a wild card berth, you know, or what what they call an at large berth, <laughs> as opposed to wild card. But you're going to be on the road in all your playoff games, which means you probably are going to lose one of those initial playoff games. You're not going to be able to host one of those playoff games at like an Autzen Stadium if right. you had a first round game, or have a more favorable matchup against a lower seed. Like you can still get in the playoff, yeah. But what are you going to do when you get there? Lose a road game in the first round because. You know, you, you're looked upon worse than a group of five champ. Like, that's what I'm worried about. Yeah, that's the thing is. Or lose to the group of five champ on the road and then really make yourself vulnerable for future playoff selection. It's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I think at like the nine schools, there's still some good football teams in the conference, right? The, yeah. They're in the Pac-12. And if they go out and they get one more school, is that going to be enough to, you know, really say, okay, this this conference is going to be viable in the college football playoff world? Like, I don't think there's any school that's in the group of five, the group of six right now that you know you can go out and you can get, and then the nationally it's going to say, okay, the Pac-12 is back because the, the Pac-12 yeah. is a big time conference. But I will say, it's also you want to you want to play that line there. It's almost like if you're Oregon or you're Washington, you're trying to get the college football playoff, and you're thinking about it, maybe you want to stay in the pack because they'll still be considered, you know, one of the higher up conferences if they go out and they get one more school. But then you're also towing the line of, well, no one's going to take you seriously. So at the same, it's a really tough situation, I think. And recruiting is what it, and recruiting is what it's all about. And Klyovkov said, "Hey, I'm not mad at any reputational risk we have as conference because I look at the recruiting that we have, and it's been better than it's ever been." I say that's a lot of pressure to put on your coaches. You're carrying, you're relying pretty much solely on Dan Landing and his coaching staff to keep up the positive perception of your conference. Now that Lincoln Riley and Chip Kelly are leaving. But oh, the, and by the way, your other top recruiter, Dion freaking Sanders, is is leaving. Yeah, the star of the conference, basically. Now but, you're saying, oh, you know, I'm not risk. I'm not worried about any reputational risk with the conference because we're still recruiting at a high level. I'm like, is that sustainable? That doesn't seem like something that I would rely on firmly as as your go-to reason for why we're still perceived as a good conference because we recruit well. But, How long is that going to be the case when everybody else, you know, sees year over year? That your top recruiters are leaving outside of Dan Landing and maybe another coach or two. I do think you need, to, if you're the conference, you need to add at least one school. And I think that school is SMU. And the reason I think that is is because they're in Dallas, they're in Texas, they get those recruits, but they have the money, right? They have the money that wants to be involved in the Power 5 school. San Diego State has it as well. But I think eventually you look at some of these teams, even like a TCU. They were from the Mountain West. Now they're considered one of the good teams in the Big 12. You look at Utah. They were in the Mountain West. They elevated. Now they're considered a legitimate team 
in the power fight. I think SMU could get there because they have the money, they have the investment, the backup, that they will throw money out there yeah. to be relevant. And I think that's what you need to do if you want to, you, you got to take a shot if you're the Pac 12. You got to hope that that team really pops. And then you get one of those you know, legitimate teams in there, and then you're considered serious once again. Yeah, future of the conference to me is, is in the hands of the Oregon Ducks, uh, Rob Mullins and Phil Knight in particular. Meanwhile, Oregon State is going out there pledging their loyalty to the conference. Do we believe them? And if you're a Beaver fan, do you want to see the Beavs stay in this conference at all costs? Or is it time to muscle up, get a little bold, and go sniff around with Big 12 country? Because that's been floated out there as well. 503-417-7575. But when we come back... Damian Lillard news. <laughs> NBA sending out a memo. Actual news, Judah? Actual news? Fake news? Who the heck cares? Like, I'm not going to discriminate. I just want to talk it's about it. It's actual news, though. <laughs> but it is actual news. So we'll talk about that on the other side. Newbie and Vaughn in for John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Got some Damian Lillard news. Let's talk about that here. We'll we'll keep talking Pac-12 and Beavers, Ducks, uh, Futures, uh, and take your calls at 503-417-7575. Uh, Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. John will be back Monday. want to play this audio from Sham Sharania of the, uh, the Athletic. So the NBA apparently has sent out a memo to all of its teams with something concerning the Damian Lillard trade request. This just came across the wire right before showtime. One of the benefits of being in the lovely Pacific time zone is the Eastern time zone news dump Friday at six gets to hit us right at showtime. (laughs) Three o'clock local. So we get to talk about it in afternoon drive when uh, it's all been dried up on the East coast. So another benefit of being out here. But part of that Friday night news dump from the NBA today was a memo that they sent out to all of their teams concerning their concern as a league over Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard and the trade request and specifically to get to one trade destination, the Miami Heat. And within that, not or basically telling any other team outside of the Miami Heat, I'm not going to play for you and I'm not going to. I'm not going to show up the training camp. Not going to do it because that, that, that that's a, that been a, out there. That was a thing we've talked <laughs> that's about. That's been like, a legitimate reported thing from Damian Lillard's camp, and we've had we've had that debate of if Dame got traded to you know whoever the Thunder would he report, and I we all said yeah he would, or if he was back in Portland at the start of this season, I think he reports to training camp because yeah. he's that kind of dude. But there was a report out there that said he was not going to show up. Right, there was. And we're like, we don't, we every, all of us were saying, we don't buy that. Anybody that knows Dame doesn't buy that. And unless it's Aaron Goodwin, who's talking to Aaron Fentress and whoever about hey, meaningful negotiation with Miami. Anybody that knows Dame knows he'll sit if he's traded to a non-Miami. Like if you know Dame, you know, don't get in on this. If you knew Dame, you wouldn't, you wouldn't bother about getting in on this. If you knew, if you knew Dame like I knew Dame. You would know. Don't don't, don't make Dame mad. Don't make, don't make mad. Dame mad. You know Dame. He will sit. It's like, uh, yeah, nah. 
So this was Shams Charania. Let's listen. Yeah, so this just came in now. I just got this. The NBA sent a memo to its 30 NBA teams about uh, informing them that they have interviewed Damian Lillard and his agent Aaron Goodwin about his stance that he only wants to play in Miami, that he, yes, he wants to trade as we've reported via sources, but also that as we reported and as his agent has said publicly that he only wants to play in Miami and the league advised both Lillard and Goodwin that any future comments of the sort as far as him wanting to only play in Miami will be potentially subject him to discipline I'm told uh, in this memo uh, if those comments continue as well as a warning to the NBPA that any future comments by players their agents that are similar to the ones as far as I only want to play for this specific team in a trade request, uh, if that's made, that could also be subject to potential discipline as well. But uh, in reading this memo, the NBA told its teams that they spoke to Goodwin, they spoke to Lillard, and that Goodwin essentially denied telling teams uh, that, that he told them that he, he only, uh, that Lillard would only play in Miami. Um, and so uh, from, from what this memo states, uh, they've all, the, the NBA also spoke to other teams and, and, and essentially they were, they were given the messaging as well that Goodwin's statements were consistent uh, for the most part. So this is relevant information because uh, for the league to take the step of going and interview, interviewing Damian Lillard, going and interviewing uh, his agent, uh, really informing them to essentially uh, knock off any potential rhetoric about only wanting to be traded to Miami. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. Uh, a few things to unpack in that uh, minute and a half long clip or, or what have you. But uh, one of the main things, first of all, is that the league is taking this seriously. <clears throat> the fact that they would go to the lengths of interviewing Damian Lillard and Aaron Goodwin both, then issuing a memo to all of their uh, all the other teams saying don't go on the record don't talk to media and don't talk to to other teams saying that you get, will only be traded to one team so for Aaron Goodwin there's two things going on there are his conversations with teams and there are his conversations with the media and clearly Goodwin is using certain media members to push out narratives like as you listeners of the show know, that's how the sausage gets made. And if you are in the media, you want to help cook the sausage because the sausage is what keeps your restaurant in business. It's what puts money and food on the table for you and your family. That's what being a reporter does. That's why sometimes I'm thankful that I'm not a reporter because I can see through the bullcrap. But if you are a reporter, and I've seen this firsthand with other reporters you kind of feel indebted to report what your sources tell you. And we all know you can't, that that's why you're a reporter. You're a reporter because of your sources. And if you, you know, if you as a media member have a relationship with Damian Lillard's agent, you're going to publish what Damian Lillard's agent tells you. And Damian Lillard's agent knows that. So he's going to tell you what he wants to tell you. The, what I'm interested in is, is Aaron Goodwin telling certain media members one thing and telling teams another because it sounds like he's trying to push the Damian Lillard to Miami and only Miami narrative through the media. And I don't really know if that's truly what he's telling other organizations, even though it's been reported that he has. But in that clip, I couldn't really tell if Shamsarani was saying that other teams like Brooklyn or Oklahoma City or Utah 
were, were they getting cold feet because they actually either A, were told by Goodwin, Lillard wouldn't play for them, or B, believed them. I don't really know, but I, I don't think that's the case. But, Stephen, just the overall concept of the NBA taking it seriously enough that one of their star players in one of their small markets signed the Supermax extension that he could only sign in that market, an extension that is designed to keep him there long-term for the overall health and viability of the league. That is why they created that certain extension. And then a year later, not only request a trade, that's one thing, but to request it to one specific location and to do so aggressively with the threat of not playing. Now the league is saying, hold up. We're still in charge of this league, not you. And we need to get involved. And their involvement was interviewing the agent, interviewing the player, and issuing a memo that they made sure as hell found the hands of Sham Sharania, Chris Haynes, and everybody else because now it's out there and now it's public on a Friday afternoon. Yeah, the interesting part is and this came out you know, right before the show came on, so I haven't gotten a whole bunch of research in this, but I wanted to look this up. Anthony Davis, for reference, he did get fined $50,000 when he requested to be traded and how everything went down. And they specifically never said the Lakers, but everybody knew it was the Lakers, but... With just how they mentioned things, he did actually get fined fifty thousand dollars. This isn't the first time this has ever happened. Right? It's also not a lot of money. It's not a lot of money at all. So he literally walked into Smoothie King Arena with that T-shirt that said "That's all, folks," on his shirt. Right? Very, very subtle. Very subtle. There. But was but he is fined for directing it to L.A. specifically. I mean, it's one thing to get the trade request. It's another to fend off all other shooters by going all, you know, tunnel vision it's, on one location. It's basically how your agent has worded it. And Rich Paul is Anthony Davis' agent. He worded it very correctly and said, you know, I want to go to a winning team. I want to go to a championship contender. That's the way he worded it. And you look at what Aaron Goodwin has said, and this is what he told Aaron Fentress. He said, quote, I had a positive conversation with Joe, and I made it clear that Damian would want the Blazers to sit down and have a meaningful negotiation with Miami. Right. Quote. And he says, and I think that's something that Joe and the Blazers will do. So he said specifically Miami. That's Aaron Goodman's fault. He can't say that. He says, you know what? If I want to have a, I want to have Dame go to a winning organization, completely different story. And we all know it's Miami, but it's just the wording that he said it. Now, there's other reports out there that says uh, Sam Amico. He says that he has heard that NBA team, the NBA would veto any trade for Lillard to Miami. Would veto a Lillard to Miami trade? Would veto, the league would veto the league would a Lillard to now, Miami trade? <laughs> Amico also went on to say he doesn't think that's entirely true, but it's what he's hearing from people around the league. And then one source had said that uh, said the league was widely upset about the comments made by Lillard's agent to the media about it being uh, futile for teams other than the Heat to try to make a trade with the Blazers. So this has a lot of layers to it, and I think it's like you said. It's Aaron Goodwin out in the public saying it's, it's Miami or nothing, but then behind the scenes it sounds like he hasn't necessarily relayed right. that message either. And so I, I do wonder what exactly Dame wants. I would, and, then now, and then Dame, we've seen this, Judah, you know, 7.50 the game, we put out that tweet right for Dame. You know, Dame's just mad. He, he starts going off. I don't know what Dame wants. I feel like there may be some part of Dame that says, you know what, I don't necessarily want to leave Portland, but Portland doesn't necessarily want me. And Joe Cronin wants to trade Damian Lillard. So I'm just I'm very confused with this whole situation. But I think this whole this thing now with the memo coming out and them saying that Aaron Goodwin and Dame, they'll be fine going anywhere. Dame, you have to report to your team no matter what, whoever you get traded for. I think it opens up the door for other teams to get involved. And I we talk about the assets that other teams could trade and how Miami was lacking assets. 
I think there's other teams, Orlando, Oklahoma City, Utah, teams that have draft picks. If they really want to build and they want to go for Damian Lillard, I think that they can get aggressive real quick here. And I think that they could jump into this trade. We've talked about it being a game, a four-quarter game. The Blazers definitely won this quarter, maybe the next two quarters. We'd be getting closer to the end. And right now the Blazers are winning this. And I think other teams are going to get aggressive now because it's basically said, like, Dame, if you get traded to a team you don't want to go to, you better report or you will be fined and suspended. Yeah, and look, I think the NBA, that's probably just more performative than it is substantial on their part. But I could don't you think imagine if Dame gets traded to a, Utah and then says, I'm not reporting after the NBA puts out this memo? Like, there's no way that he would do that. There, right, there is no way he would do that. But I, I also don't think that they would actually suspend him, um, you know, unless it got really contentious. But that'd be a bad look on the league as well. This is a bad look on Aaron Goodwin. Everything that he's, he's has come out in the last, you know, I mean, who's who's done a worse job, George Klyovkov or Aaron Goodwin? I don't know. That, that's a debate you can have, though. He It feels like he's in over his head. Goodwin. Like, he doesn't really know how to handle this. Now, I want to—I don't know if I can put it all on him because it feels to me that Damian Lillard himself seems like it, it, it's, it's hard to pin Dame down on exactly what's going through that guy's head. I might have to read the lyrics from his latest, you know, video. Uh, other than all I know is that he's seeing red. And what I know is that that means he's either going to be playing for Miami or Portland. That, you know, he's seeing red. That was basically what came out of his latest video. And that's what I'm going to infer from that. But I look at the client list that, you know, uh, is part of Aaron Goodwin. He's um, a few guys. You know, he's got DeMar DeRozan is probably the most comparable uh, star that he's had, you know, he that he's has currently. I mean, he's had other Portland-based guys like Damon Stoudemire uh, in the past. He's had um, Gary Payton the second, yeah, and Gary Payton apparently himself was uh, was in his his client list. He's got Matisse Tybel currently on the Blazers. That, by the way, that's kind of interesting how he represented GP two and that got all messy. Um, do you, do you think it, back do there, you but think, it doesn't feel like he's been, he, he wasn't ready for a, a superstar player. And certainly Dame is the highest profile client that he has, even including DeRozan, not, not close to have something like this happen and then try to work the media and work teams at the same time and work his own client and his client's current team. I, I don't know how you do that perfectly, but, uh, the way that Aaron Goodwin's been doing it has been hardly <laughs> anything close to perfect. It's I have to give him an F so far with a chance to uh, do extra credit. Do you think this opens up a trade possibility to another team besides Miami? Because for, yeah. for, for a couple of weeks, I thought, eh, it's Miami really or nothing now. Do you think other teams could be aggressive now knowing that they will at least get Damon to training camp? Well, it's up to Damian Lillard, I think, frankly, because I don't think that Dame, if Dame still wants to go only to Miami, this is a wrist slap. You know, but it's not it's not the actual veto. Do you think the league would veto? The, they've they done it before. Act, with Chris Paul and the Lakers. Not with Damian Lillard and the Heat. That but the Chris and that was weird. The Chris Paul one to the Lakers. You would think the NBA would want and that the was Lakers. David Stern, right? Yeah, you would want the Lakers to get a guy like Chris Paul and they said, Nah, we're good. You can't go there. So it, it's not like it hasn't happened before. I I can't imagine they would do it again because they got so much backlash even back then. So I can't imagine it happens again, but I don't to know, me, man. that opens up a whole other can of, can of worms, it does. and that's it does. That's too much of a about face to the uh, superstar era, you know, a star driven league. 
that Adam Silver probably wouldn't do that. But I think threatening the veto and planting the possibility of a veto through people like Sam Amico is the messaging the NBA is trying to accomplish, which is we're taking this ish seriously. Please do this on the up and up, or we will send you to somewhere other than Miami. So uh, both to Dame and Goodwin, that it's like, hey, you know, get your P's and Q's in order because the way that you've done, gone about this so far, you're earning the reputation you deserve, and you're going to do this on our terms, not yours. Uh, we'll continue to talk about this as the show progresses. But, yeah, the NBA taking this seriously. They've sent a memo out to all the teams uh, saying that they've interviewed Damian Lillard and Aaron Goodwin. <laughs> They're disciplining them in front of the class is what's going on right now. And they say, the rest sit, of you, go, take go, notice. Go sit in the hallway for a Go sit here. in the hallway and come back. Uh, 503-417-7575. Uh, we'll continue talking about that. What should Oregon and Oregon State do next? Want to dig into that as well. But first, it's our big splash, and we'll take some of your phone calls on the other side. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazano on the Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I was wondering, is there a breakdown in communication and I ask that because you've had presidents and other administrators since February saying the deal's coming soon. Wait, it's going to be a couple of weeks. What's been the holdup there? And has there been a breakdown in communication between the conference office and its membership? Several dozen um, board meetings in the last year. We constantly update our board. I think they're enthusiastic like I am about the media deal. But I will tell you what we've seen is that the longer we wait for the media deal, the better our options get. And I think our board realizes that. And the, uh, there's an underlying shift in the media market that's happening. And we're long-term taking advantage of that. But short-term, it may have provided some hiccups. <laughs> I'd say. <laughs> that was George Klyovkov at his uh, press conference at Media Day just one short week ago. We'll continue taking your calls on that at 503-417-7575. Also talking about the memo sent by the NBA to all 30 teams slapping Damian Lillard on the wrist, slapping Aaron Goodwin on the wrist, and saying you can't just ask out and demand to trade to one specific team and say that you're not going to show up if any other team trades for you. You can't do that. We're going to draw a line in the sand here, interview you, send a memo, and discipline you in front of the class, deal with it. Uh, taking your thoughts on that as well. But first, let's get to our big splash. The one thing you need to know today. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The Big Splash. Well, yesterday we talked about Joe Burrow suffering an injury at Bengals camp, and it looked like he pulled up, and we weren't sure if it was something serious like an Achilles, or in the end, if it's just going to be a calf strain. Well, Sounds like it is going to be a, a right calf strain for Joe Burrow. Bengals coach Zach Taylor said today that quarterback Joe Burrow will be sidelined, quote, several weeks after suffering a right calf strain in practice on Thursday. He was carted off the field. He was scrambled into his right, pulled up with a non-contact injury. So several weeks for Joe Burrow to be out with a right calf strain. Uh, Stephen, that's better than uh, anything 
more or worse that we uh, imagined could have been the case. Yeah, it seemed like it could have been a lot worse. Uh, so good news that it's only a string yeah, cap. I yet. couldn't go through a football season without Joe Burrow. I, I mean, he's one of the he's one of my favorites in the league. He's awesome. He's so he's so good, and the Bengals are so fun to watch. And uh, it is good news. And it was it looked bad, and the fact that he had a cap sleeve on when he didn't have one on before made it look even worse. Non-contact. You always think of the worst, but seems like he, he escaped it. And uh, he probably should be ready for week yeah. one of the regular season, which is all that matter. I can't imagine he plays in any preseason. I can't imagine he practices at all, but it'll be good to see him back in the regular season. Well, third straight training camp now that he has dealt with some kind of health issue. Uh, in his in 2021, he was recovering from a torn ACL that he suffered in his rookie year. And then uh, he had a ruptured appendix that required surgery in training camp last year uh, that uh, that he had to deal with as well. So. Uh, hopefully Joe Burrow could get back to healthy and ready for week one because I tell you what, the Bengals are one of the fun teams in the loaded AFC. 503-417-7575. Brian is out in Beaverton, and uh, he is on uh, on the show right now. I'm sure it's, uh, our phone lines are all over the place today. Let me put you on hold again, Brian. We'll get that worked out, but we'll, we'll get that call in a second. Oh, Brian's in Beaverton. Hey, Brian. Hey, um... Yeah, pretty upset about this uh, Pac-12 with teams leaving. Uh, I guess what I would like to know is why shouldn't the Pac-12 the Pac conference start um, antitrust litigation versus uh, USC, UCLA, Cognell, Colorado, and those conferences? Uh, this happens in business all the time where a monopoly is created to where another business is not competitive. And uh, I, I really, you know, look, I'd like to hear from an a antitrust attorney if there's one out there uh, that understands this. But I, I sure think this should be antitrust litigation. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Brian. Appreciate that. I think uh, you got to look at some bylaws. You know, you gotta look at, I'm I'm no expert, but you got to look at some bylaws because whatever the bylaws say in your respective conference probably dictates whether or not. The antitrust route is the way to go. So I'm with you, Brian. I think that uh, there's a certain part of this, and he mentioned the word monopoly. If we get to the monopoly that we all think that we're ultimately doomed for, which is two massive super conferences, or maybe three, I guess, if you include, you know, Brett, your marks, uh, big 20, then, yeah, if you're the Pac-12, you're like, hey, 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 we're going to sue for antitrust before we allow the super conferences to happen and freeze us out. Maybe, but you got to check them bylaws. I like the call. Thanks for it. Hour two coming up next. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. B-F-F-T. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, in for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. Happy Friday out there, everybody. 503-417-7575. Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn in for John Canzano. John out this week helping run Camp Exceptional uh, for all the kids with the BFT Foundation. Just awesome work. Also a news-packed news week for JC to navigate, including him breaking the news of the Dan Lanning contract extension earlier this week, uh, which uh, we'll continue to talk about. Memo sent by the NBA to all 30 teams. Uh, saying that they interviewed Damian Lillard, they've interviewed Aaron Goodwin, and on the other side they say, 
you got to stop being so public with your dramatic demands to get to one team and one team only. If you want to demand one team and one team only, please do it behind the scenes and don't do it in public. That's that's not what we're here for. And also, does this have any you know real impact on whether or not Dame will eventually land with the Miami Heat or if he will open up the possibility of another team? Would that team be the Portland Trailblazers or just stand pat? Or would it ultimately be a team like Oklahoma City or Utah or uh, Brooklyn? Really, Stephen, I, I think where I am right now is this was a performative act by the NBA, but it's also a precedent act by the NBA. They're basically telling the league and Dame and Aaron Goodwin, we're taking this seriously about superstars asking out and asking out to one specific destination. You've got to do it with a lot more tact than the way that you tried to do it in the last month. Yeah, and I also think it's a little, it's it's a lot of that. I would say it's about 95% of that, but it's also 5% of, it's not a great look, in, especially in the NBA, this happens a lot, where guys sign contract extensions and then don't even start playing with that team that they signed the extension with. Dame signed the two-year extension with the Blazers. If they trade him, he won't even have started that contract extension until he's with the new team. And I think that's a bad yeah. look that it's not to mention that they had that specific extension is only in existence because it was designed to keep stars in small markets. Right. It's just, it's a, like that specific one that he signed was basically the Damian Lillard extension. Like it, you know, back in the day, it was definitely more, you know, the owners and uh, you know, the front office had so much power and we got mad about it. So we gave a lot of power to the players. Now I think it's almost swung a little bit too much to the players not that I'm the you know all about I want more power for the owners. That doesn't sound good either. I don't want that either. But I want it to be a little bit of both. It's got to be give and take both ways. And I do think the NBA, I think it's a it's a bad optic to say you know what we're gonna have these rules and to try to keep people in small markets, and then they're just gonna ask out because they don't want to play in that market anymore. The other nugget that got floated out was the fact that the NBA apparently would veto a Damian Lillard to Miami Heat trade. Now that is coming out from. Sam Amico, and refresh me on who Sam Amico uh, works for. Who does he write words on the .com for? Yeah, so Sam Amico, he, uh, he's a senior NBA writer for HoopsWire.com. He was previously with Sports Illustrated, Fox Sports, CBS Sports as well. Um, mm. Three-time basketball author. So he is he's a legitimate guy, uh, not just some fake. Blue, blue check, no blue check. I want to know where you know, he stands on this. He does have a this. blue check, though. So, he does. Uh, I mean, he, he's well-paid. Well-paid. He's a verified, well verified, paid. Paid. He's a verified, <laughs> verified man, so... Uh, yeah, so he's at the Hoops Wire right now. Uh, he he is reported, you know, he quote tweeted the Shams piece and said he keeps hearing that the NBA would veto any Lillard trade to Miami, but he doesn't think that's actually entirely true, but it's what people around the league are telling him as they foresee. And then he also said one source said the league was wildly upset about comments made by Lillard's agent to the media uh, about being traded to the Heat and only the Heat. The idea that they would veto a trade, uh, I agree with Amico, I don't see that happening. I don't see Adam Silver's NBA vetoing a trade of a superstar, especially a likable superstar. Even though ultimately, I'm sure they would want Damian Lillard to stay in my uh, to stay in Portland. Um, you know, to to show that small market loyalty, which was the reason they created that extension in the first place. And you're right; it's basically they've had enough of the uh, the star player leverage when the extension they create to help keep a Damian Lillard in Portland is being ripped up and thrown out the window. And it's not just anybody can get them. It's only one team. 
and we're going to make sure it that way. They're like, you know what? No, this is getting this is getting out of hand. We're going to make an example out of Aaron Goodwin and Damian Lillard and show the rest of the league. You know, be on your P's and Q's. Can you be a little bit more professional about it than what you did? And I go back to our tweet at Damian Lillard when when we asked him why. He said, uh, what did he even say in the first place that prompted the why? He basically was like, I can't, uh, you know, he's like, I don't even know what to believe anymore. He's like, I'm amazed. That's what he said. He's like, I'm amazed. (laughs) And then we were like, why are you amazed? And he said, at how people could know so much and so little at the same time. And to me, that's that's Aaron Goodwin, knowing Damian Lillard allegedly so well, and yet going about his strategy with this trade request, and everything he said to media and everything that he said to teams has hardly been, I think, what Damian Lillard has probably wanted in all of this. And now we look at the calendar, and tomorrow will be four weeks since the trade request. Saturday, July 1st, I remember where I was, driving uh, to my my folks' house, and then I had my wife get behind the, the wheel while I wrote something up for the website. Damian Lillard requests out, and I was like, oh my gosh, he has asked out, and it looks like it's going to be Miami. What a day. What I didn't necessarily think would happen is that we're here at 4 o'clock, July 28th, and exactly nothing has happened. And that's a little surprising. And I still think, don't get me wrong, I still think he's traded. I think he's traded in Miami. But the percentages of that have gone from 95 to maybe 75. What do you think? Is that fair? Yeah, I don't know. Is it lower than that? It's hard to tell, Judah. I do think it does open it up for more teams. It may not be that much. I still think Miami is still the favorite to be the next destination for Damian Lillard. It's just this goes to show just the way that business needs to be done in the NBA, and it's all – you can't be out in the public about it. Aaron Goodwin and Dame haven't really gone about this the right way by being so public about it. Now, yes, it's great for us that we see the public – you know, we hear these things and we see these things that they say, like, I only want to go to Miami. Like, it's great for us because then we know, okay, well, this is what's actually going on. But the difference is, is like, all these other big trades that have happened, Kevin Durant, when he got traded to Phoenix, that was all behind the scenes. Like, they weren't out saying, oh, Phoenix or nothing. Like, we right. knew he wanted to go to Phoenix, but at the same time, it's like, well, he wasn't out there saying it. You know, same with, you know, even, like, the Paul George trade when he wanted out um, of Oklahoma City. Like, he didn't say, I only want to go to the Clippers. No, like, he said, I want to go to L.A. But he'd be like, oh, the Lakers or the Clippers. He'd be like, no, I just want to go to a winning team. You know, like, it's just the way you word it and the way the, the fact that Aaron Goodwin said Miami specifically, that's where they fumbled this whole situation, and I do think that, it's it's a learning situation, hopefully for them, but also for the NBA. I think they're making the they're trying, like you said, they're making yeah. Dame an example and Aaron Goodwin an example in this situation. Yeah, I agree. I mean, this should, Aaron Goodwin is no Rich Paul. He's no Aaron Mintz. Like he's he's not one of the high roller agents. And I think Damian Lillard's in a in a spot where he like he's got to be questioning whether or not Goodwin is up for the job here. Is there any version of this where he fires his agent? You think before in order to to help make the the trade that he needs possible to be possible or is that going too far i mean goodwin to me just seemed you never he's never in the headlines with any other big a-list guy asking for a trade why because he doesn't have one besides demar Derozan, and that doesn't that's not comparable to what we're dealing with with damian lillard right now it feels to me like goodwin's in over his head i would find it i don't think that dame would fire aaron goodwin in this situation but 
if it did, then you know stuff has gone really wrong. It's gone way wrong. Got way wrong. I don't. I, I just think that would be even a worse look for Dame right there. Like then we really have no idea what he wants. And that Goodwin wouldn't see any of that extension that, commission yeah, money. That'd be too bad for Aaron Goodwin. Too. <laughs> All right, we'll go back to that, and we'll take your calls at five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. But. Let's first uh, play a little pawn shit audio, the best sound from all around. We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Fish Truth Headquarters. Hey, we're all about truth, justice, and the American way here, okay? Which is why we've spanned the globe and pulled the top audio cuts of the day. You're going to hear little snippets of sound. Hey, it's time for Punch It Audio, presented by First Call Heating and Cooling. Joel Klatt, Fox Sports, talking Pac-12, saying they, the schools in the Pac-12 have shown a lot of patience and it almost cost them. Punch it. The schools, then, you could make a strong argument, have shown a tremendous amount of patience in this whole situation. And in particular, in a, a really precarious spot because this revenue is paramount uh, for these schools and these programs to continue. Um I'm surprised that it actually took this long for any move to be made, primarily because of of the constant push that has gone on from the Pac-12 side in terms of when a deal could or or would potentially be made. Stephen, did you see the Pac-12 statement last night that uh, came out in the latter parts of the show or just after the show? I did. It was yeah. the definition of word salad. It was yeah. it was incredible. It was it was more word salad than the uh, the the Jody Allen uh, response to when uh, Phil Knight tried to purchase the Blazers. Like it, it was even it was even worse. And it reminds me it reminds me of this question that John Cazzano asked George Klyovkov in his one on one with him at Media Day last week, seven days ago, where he was basically asking him about mishandled messaging in the Pac-12. This was funny. Punch it. Settled debate in our household. I say Pac-12 has mishandled the messaging in the last year. (laughs) My wife says, no, they haven't. If you don't have anything to say, you don't need to say anything. Yeah, and I think your wife also pointed (laughs) out that the board gets to make that decision, if if I've heard correctly. Right, yes. And and that is the case, right? Like, there is nothing about the way the Pac-12 historically has carried itself that would say I should be out spending my last year doing tit-for-tat with all of the fan media that's been speculating about which of our schools is going to leave next week. By the way, that's been never ending yeah. for, for the yeah. last year. And the idea that I would spend any time or um, emotion on that and and like kind of feeding that, that narrative yeah. didn't make sense to me. I would say at the same time, I understood that there's a reputational risk about not defending your turf. And for me, the thing that indicated to me that we were on the right path about not being out there was I thought of everything that you could actually be harming. You could be actually harming recruiting. Yeah. Right. Like kids might say, well, I'm reading that you're not going to be in the Pac-12 or that school's not going to be in the Pac-12. It turns out we're having our best recruiting year ever. So I look at that and go, yeah, that kind of. It's not hurting you. It's not hurting us. (laughs) Having your best recruiting year ever because you got Lincoln Riley still recruiting in your conference. You and, still, you still like, and you still got Coach Prime recruiting in your conference. And now you don't. Well, so, I wonder what the wow. numbers are if you take those two out. You take Lincoln Riley out. You take Colorado out. What do the recruiting numbers look like? It's all Oregon, man. That's it. And that's why Dan got the extension. 
<laughs> that's knows. why and he just said Klyovkov just said you know with John Katana he's like why would I waste any time trying to feed the narrative that one of our schools is going to leave next week that's literally what he said here we are next week and one of the schools actually left it's not about feeding the narrative it's playing actual defense because dude that's the game you're in it's not a fake game it's not a game being played on a, a board somewhere it's actually happening. You're in it. Do you shoot the ball? Do you get, You're open. Do you get Clat when he says he's surprised that it took so long for a team to finally be like, we're done with this? Because I am a little shocked because they kept pushing this media rights thing back and back. And they remember it was supposed to be done in the summer. Then it was supposed to be done in the fall. Then the winter. Then the spring. I'm surprised. I'm with Clat. I'm surprised that this Colorado move didn't actually happen earlier. Well, here's what I think's going on. I'm no reporter, yeah, which I actually serves, I think serves reporting, me breaking well news. in this. Sources. Because what we've seen from legitimate reporters has not exactly been um, helpful to the public. So me, non-reporter, here's what I think happened. I don't think Rick George himself, the AD, really wanted to leave. I don't think so. And I think his on-the-record comments would indicate that. Yeah. And you have to cherry-pick who's on-the-record comments you believe i will choose to believe rick george previous on the record comments which go back months saying we really don't want to leave we really don't want to leave i think coach prime gets there and coach prime's kind of calling the shots but i think he's having a conversation with rick george i think coach prime knocks on rick george's door or sees him in passing and be like oh i, I see pac 12s talking to eye on television i'm not pitching eye on television to my recruits rick I'm not pitching Ion. I'm not telling the moms in the living room that we're going to be playing on Ion, Rick. Well, his thing okay, is, I'm not telling them that. You know where to find me. You know I don't where to know find where to, me. I don't know where to find Ion. And I don't want to find. I'm not going. I'm not going Amazon. Like I'm all about Coach Prime, but CW. I'm not playing on Prime Video unless I own Prime Video. I'm going to be playing my games on ESPN and Fox, Rick. And I bet those kind of casual banter has probably taken place. And then they had actual meetings and said, "Look, Dion." And I'm being Rick George here. I really don't want to leave this conference. Like, it's good for us to be associated here and everything. But Dion probably said, hey, look, it's better for us to be in the Big 12. You know, it helps me recruit. To, I don't necessarily need it to recruit Texas, but it doesn't hurt me to recruit Texas. And we have a guarantee that we're going to make more money, A, and have better television exposure, B, than we don't know what the pack. 12 is going to be. So here's what I think happened. And again, this is no reporting. This is what I think happened. I think Rick George made an agreement with Deion Sanders that said, if we have a media rights deal by media day, then we're staying in this thing, or at least we're committed to it for the next, you know, foreseeable future. If our conference does not have a deal by media, by media day, then Dion, I agree. We'll go to the big 12. That's what I think happened. How else do you explain the such rapid nature of Colorado's exit and allegedly surprised exit from a week ago media day to now? Clearly, media day was an important mark on the calendar. And I think Rick George and Coach Prime probably agreed that that was the date that if no media deal happened, we were going to be gone. Now, you add another layer to that. We learned early in the week leading up to media day that no media, de- media deal was going to be announced. We knew that on Tuesday or Wednesday. As soon as we learned that, what happened? Coach Prime announced he wasn't going. Why? Now I'm in Brian Windhorst mode. No, that, I, that's, that's actually what, what I, happened. That's what I'm looking up right now. I'm looking at the timeline. 
because it was eight days ago that it was all reported that George Klyovkov would not talk about the deal. And the seeds of that were came out on Friday, or I think like Wednesday the 19th, right. was there's not going to be a media deal. We were talking about it on the show. Then Dion comes out and says, I'm not going to media day because he knew they didn't have a media deal. And he's like, I've already talked to Rick George that if we don't have a media deal by media day, we're going to go. How else do you explain media day coming and going and boom, Colorado's hit the exit door. Dion announced on Wednesday that he would not be attending media day. Exactly. And we had rumblings that there would be no media deal earlier Wednesday and even I think probably Tuesday as well. Like that was what's going on. Dion knew that. Rick George knew that. And I think they all knew that the hay was in the barn at that point. Again, that is my theory, but I'm convinced of it because I'm just putting the puzzle pieces together. I think that's what happened. And Rick George made the concession to Coach Prime and Phil DeStefano probably as well. And that's the thing. I don't know much about Phil DeStefano, but I wonder, A, was he really the one representing Colorado in these Pac-12 Board of Regents meetings? Or was he sending a proxy? How many of these guys are actually the ones in these Zoom calls? How many of them send proxies? Because if Phil DeStefano was sending a proxy, hey, that would put me on, on high alert. And even if he was representing there, now I think Phil, Phil DeStefano is one of the best poker players of all time. And maybe he is. Because if he was the one staring the other you know, Pac-12 presidents in the face and saying, hey, we're all in on being unified. We're all in on all of this. To the point where George Klyovkov himself was going on the record and saying, hey, I'm not worried about anything because I know all our presidents are unified. In regards to, obviously, the Big 12, they, they talked about last year and even this year they open for business. In terms of them potentially poaching schools, is that still a major concern or has it kind of been you know, nipped in the bud privately? It's, it's not a concern. Our schools are committed to each other and to the Pac-12. We'll get our meteorites deal done. We'll announce the deal. I think the realignment that's going on in college athletics will, will come to an end for this cycle. And then the truth is we've got bigger fish to fry. You know, there are incredible opportunities and also challenges in front of college athletics. And I need to be able to work with all of my colleagues in Division I and particularly in the A5. And we'll do that. And we'll move past you know, kind of all the bitter squabbling of the last year, and, and we'll work together to make college athletics better. I truly believe that George Klyovkov was taken off guard by the Colorado exit. And I, I'll play more of his comments with Canzano and from his presser that, again, was just one week ago. And I think that is the evidence that backs up the fact that I, I think Colorado took him by surprise. Now, you could argue whether or not he should be taken by surprise. Probably he shouldn't have been in a way. My theory, though, is that Dion and Rick George and Phil DeStefano had a deal in place between the three of them. If we have a media rights deal and we see numbers by media day, then we're going to stick it out with this conference. And if we don't, we're going to leave. Media day comes and goes. Dion doesn't show up. Rick George is barely there. Four days after media day comes and goes, Colorado's gone. I think just put the pieces together yourself. I don't have to do it. It makes a lot of sense. And um, I I, I think it it really did catch George Klyovkov off guard. That is... That's, that's unforgivable. Again, to be all caught off guard by US, USC, UCLA, we kind of understand. Yeah. But now to say, not have a meteorite steal over a year, and then to say, well, I didn't think Colorado would leave. I didn't think it would leave because we didn't have a meteorite steal. That, that's crazy. And I, I think that he needs to be blamed for it then.
Well, that's Punch It Audio. There's a couple more pieces of sound, but we'll get to it later. But I want to take your calls first at 503-417-7575 before we go to break. Let's go to Larry in Klamath Falls. Larry, you're on the air. Yeah. Uh, so I'm a former duck, of course, and I uh, went in the 80s. And I've kind of watched our team grow and grow and get stronger. Uh, but, uh, you know, I kind of watching this whole landscape of college football, and if we're not careful, we're going to ruin this product. And, uh, you know, I look back, uh, I think they expanded to Pac-12 in 2011 or 2012. UCLA and USC have accounted for one Pac-12 championship in that time. So let them go. And Colorado, they're a bottom dweller. Let's go out and get a few teams. I think Washington and Oregon are in a in a interesting situation in which, and maybe even Utah, they're in the driver's seat. I say they stand pat, they galvanize. I know we we've talked about that before. I'm a frequent listener, but you know, stay strong. And yeah, we can get SMU, San Diego State. I'm not really, I'm not about the big markets and stuff, and I know you got to have big markets for television deals and stuff, but why not Boise State, some of those teams that people want to watch? That's all i got to say. I'll take it off the yeah, air. Yeah, thanks, Larry. And Look, that's an Oregon fan sounding in. That's an Oregon fan saying, stay put, don't go. The product is already being, you know, ruined enough for me. Well, Let's point, stay though, put here. To his point, though, you know, he – if Oregon's ultimate goal is to get to the college football playoff and everybody looks at the Pac-12 as being legitimate still, their best option is to stay, right? Yeah, as long as they expand. You right, know. right. As long as, and, and as long as the college football playoff expansion terms stay the way they are, right? which I don't believe that they will. I, I don't think contracts are evergreen the way that, uh, you know, I, I'm not going to say that the Pac-12 expansion is the glorious – It'll be all end all that we all hope it is. Michael is in Eugene. Hey, Michael, good to talk to you. How are you? Hey, guys. Uh, so quickly, a couple of comments. I don't work in media, but I'm a real estate developer and professional. San Diego State and CU Boulder are like-kind properties. And so if George K. actually executed quickly – to swap those two, that's actually a win. They're a better fit. And I grew up, I saw Colorado beat Notre Dame for the national title in 91, 10-9. So I know Colorado, they're more comfortable in the Big 12. Uh, and we're going to blow Coach Tuto out by five touchdowns <laughs> in Austin as a send-off in September. You write that down. We will blow them out, and they will not want any more after the third quarter. But as far as we are concerned, here's the thing with George. Enough is enough. And if San Diego State has a $34 million exit, you divvy that across the nine remaining. I'm sure Uncle Phil, you have to have that property because if Arizona goes and they are very much being wooed, they are the piece for the 14th team that Brett Yormark wants to bolster his hoops brand. The pack is done, and it will be broken up into little pieces. The Ducks in Washington are going to be fine. They're the biggest brands. They can wait at the bar 
the Big Ten can say everything they want. They will show up and pick up those two brands. The rest of them, though, are going to be in trouble. So I know that George said media deal first. The critical path, he has to go get San Diego State. SMU nice to have, not a have to have like San Diego State, who is much better at basketball and football. The Buffs' cumulative record in the Pac-12 is 22-78. and 78. To say they're a doormat and have been a disappointment would be kind. And yeah, Rick George had to kiss Dion's shoes because – this is his fourth football hire. If this doesn't work, he is going to get shown the door. So that is the state of the union. I wish I could get George on the phone, but if the conference blows up, there will be a 30 for 30 that will be incredible. In 2010, the year before the Ducks played Auburn for the national title, the Pac-10 was as strong as the SEC it was as strong as the Big Ten, and I'm not being crazy. We were putting four teams in the Sweet 16. The Ducks were absolutely as good as any of those other teams. Yeah, they lost by one to Auburn. But the last 14 years, really the enablers of this destruction and flameout of the Conference of Champions, the presidents, they are academicians, and they are geeks. And they were wooed by Larry Scott because he used to run the women's tennis tour. He's a Harvard guy. He is an arrogant you-know-what. And then George Kay comes with a very fancy degree. UVA Law is one of the best schools in the world. But guess what? Brent Yormark is a salesman, and he is closing. You have to close the deal. And so this is our last at bat, two strikes two outs, bottom of the ninth. If George K. does not go get San Diego State, in the next two weeks, the Conference of Champions is gone. Oregon and Washington, I know the Big Ten said they wouldn't go right now. You watch them change. They, of course, will come get Oregon and Washington. Probably at a discount. Oregon, backfill with Uncle Phil. We will be fine. Long term for me, if, if the pack is not going to do it the right way, the Big Ten is the safest place because you're getting 58 to 70 million, whatever, and Uncle Phil is 84. He's not going to live forever, and we need to be well-positioned for life after that. But to say George K. has blown this, it is shameful, and he should be looking at his shoes, or better yet, his computer, signing and finishing up an offer for San Diego State. That's their last card. Arizona is close to leaving, and if they close, Arizona, the conference is kaput, done. So I will uh, hang up and let you guys discuss, but that's the way I see it. Uh, That's a tremendous phone call right there, (laughs) Michael and Eugene, Duck fan. Uh, That is tremendous. There's like, you've had like 10 different bullet points. I think I agree with like nine of them. The only San Diego State point, which I think overall I do agree with, like you need to get San Diego State. I'm not sure about the urgency with that. I, I think the urgency with that's in you uh, matters because the, the San Diego State pathway, I think, is inevitable. Like they'll get into this this conference by hell or high water. I don't know if they'll get here by 2024, but whatever media rights deal you strike, assuming you strike one, uh, 
we'll have to include that language of, hey, by the way, when we add San Diego State in 2025, here's the media rights share they have. Like, you have to have that foresight and knowledge to include that language, just like the Big 12 had that language to include when they expand, ergo, Colorado, they would get the full $31.7 million. Well, they thought about that, and they put that in the darn deal that they signed with Espen and Fox. So the Pac-12 will have to do the same with whatever media rights partners they do to to get San Diego State involved. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right on that. And I, what we've learned, Judah, you know, it's all about the buyout with San Diego State. We've learned uh, contracts don't mean anything, and everything is negotiable. Well, yeah. Why but- can't George K go out and negotiate and say, you know what, we'll, we'll give you this much and we'll get San Diego State to the conference next season. Because we got academic presidents that will do that. Who cares? I, if, wish, if George, I wish he had that autonomy. Commit. He does it. He's got... George has got to make a play. He's got to make a play, man. He, he, he can't. His bosses have to let him. His bosses everything. have to vote. I, I, and the thing with the Big 12 bosses, they aren't academics. They love Brett. The Pac-12 they bosses look at George and they're like, can we have a book club with this guy? Can we come over for high tea? Well, Georgia's got to convince these people that it's okay and to try to negotiate to get San Diego State in as soon as possible. I, I think so. It's possible, I, but, but they're not going to make. They're a, not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They're not going to do it. They don't too, know what too, to do. They're too smart for that. Yeah, we're the dumb ones. They're the smart ones. Five zero three four one seven seventy five seventy five. We'll bounce a break and come back. Uh, take some more of your calls and uh, and play some more sound along the way. Plus five at five and. Uh, we will go through the Ducks and Beavers full schedule. It's full schedule Friday. I feel like we should do this every Friday before the uh, the season starts. Full schedule Friday. Let's go through the full schedules for the Ducks and the Beavers because, look, as ominous as the future looks, at least this fall will be exciting. That's my pitch to you. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Canzano on the Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I will tell you, this is the third football media day I've done. You'll recall the first one was three weeks into my job and a week after Texas and Oklahoma news yeah. broke. Second one was less than four weeks after UCLA and USA. So for me, this was a This layup. was a cake. This was the easy this one. Was cake. <laughs> this, this was cake. This was not. Yeah. If it, if it keeps getting easier like this, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was a layup, uh, George's media day uh, one week ago. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, in for John Cazano. JC will be back Monday. One thing I haven't talked about quite yet is Oregon State's involvement in all of this. So the Beavers, if you're on uh, X.com, just one X, Stephen, or is it two X's or three X's? Well, it's definitely not three. Okay. Um, <laughs> it could be two. I don't know, but I think one. Is it one X? Okay. It's Twitter.com. If you're on the uh, Twitter app, if you're on X. If you're Xing. If you're Xing. If you're one of the cool kids. There's stuff that floats around. You know, that's what stuff do does on uh, on X. It floats around. And one of the, the floating things has been... Um, there's another Pac-12 team that's thinking about going to the Big 12, and it's not who you think it would be. It's not a four-corner school. And if you look deep enough, which you don't really, the, the algorithm does it for you, but Oregon State has been floated as a possible Big 12 team to go on uh, on Elon's app here. I don't believe it, but 
it's popped up in enough places to where it's like, what? What's that? What do you mean Oregon State's a, a Big 12 option? Is Brett Yormark talking to Scotty uh, Scotty Barnes? I probably shouldn't say Scotty Barnes. He's a Raptors guard, right? Well, I'm from Oregon, yeah, but yeah, he's he's on the Raptors. So Scott Barnes. Scott Barnes. That's the professional. Who is, who is also quite tall. I don't know who's taller, Scotty Barnes or Scott Barnes. Well, how tall is Scott? Six six, six seven. Is he really? He's tall. Well, yeah. Well, I think Scotty's like six eight, six seven. So. I don't know. Maybe I'm giving it. I don't know. I remember running it. Well, yeah, I'll save that anecdote for for a later time. But I've run into uh, to Scott Barnes a time or two. I've not yet taken a charge from Scotty Barnes, mm. uh, but that's on the bucket list. Is Brett Yormark talking to Scott Barnes or uh, Giothi Murthy, who's the new president at, at Oregon State? You know, um, what kind of communications have they had? Or, or if it's not that direct, and it probably isn't that direct, but I, I do wonder what kind of communication back-channeling is available for the Beavers to uh, assess their best options, and here's why. No, Corvallis is not exactly a great TV market. I don't know if they fold them into the Portland TV market. I don't really know how that goes, because obviously that's uh, a better option. Or if it's honestly part of the Eugene TV market, because I know there, you know, there's a lot of crossover there between uh, what we call DMAs in the uh, in the business. But if you're Oregon State, you're on the come up in football with Jonathan Smith and. Again, your value as a media rights university is your your biggest asset is that you're in the Pacific time zone, <laughs> really, and that you don't stink anymore like you used to in football. You don't, and it looks sustainable. It's not, not because of your recruiting, but because of your coach. And if you're assuming that the coach is going to be there for the long term, which you would think is the case with Jonathan Smith, then if you're the Big 12 it's worth going after Oregon State football in particular as an asset. Obviously, basketball, which is something that the Big 12 also prioritizes, you don't get that with Oregon State outside of one magical, magical few weeks. <laughs> I will still hold dear to. They were tied with five minutes left with a trip to the Final Four at stake. What a beautiful time of life that was. That was a long time ago. Um, but Oregon State, I think, is in a, in a spot where I will give that rumor a little bit of credence, a little bit of credence that they were either engaged with some Big 12 talks or were thinking about it internally themselves. And one of the evidences that I think that that rumor is a little bit, you know, it's got something to it, is the fact that Oregon State themselves came out with a statement today. I don't know, Stephen. I've I've looked around. I haven't seen any other schools come out with statements. Have you? I know Oregon hasn't come out with a statement pledging its loyalty to the Pac-12. And here is what, basically what the the statement said. It was it came into my email at eight forty-five this morning, and it's President Giothi Murthy saying that Oregon State University joins with other Pac-12 members in reaffirming our commitment to the long-term strength and vitality of the conference. We are united by our shared values, our passion for the highest level of intercollegiate athletic competition, our leadership roles as a tier one research universities, and our support for student athletes, academic and athletic excellence. Then Scott Barnes had a statement. He says, Oregon State Athletics 
trusts that the Pac-12 will secure a media rights deal that will strongly benefit the institutions that are remaining loyal to this conference. All of us at Oregon State will continue to work hard and diligently to continue the long-term membership and success of our athletic department at a national level. That is Scott Barnes. So, a couple of things. One, Oregon State coming out with a statement to say that that we trust the Pac-12 and uh, and we're committed along with our other members here. Why is it just Oregon State and nobody else making these comments? Because I think Oregon State legitimately was on the lookout for alternatives and possibly the Big 12. I think, or maybe even the Big 10. I don't know. But I legitimately think Oregon State was on the lookout for its next steps. Otherwise, why would they feel the need to come out with a statement like this that I haven't seen from from other universities or, or athletic departments, even though they say, hey, it's us and we're representing the other member institutions as well. And then B, Scott Barnes saying that, hey, I'm confident we're going to secure a media rights deal that strongly benefits the institutions that are remaining loyal to this conference. And that means... He's got to see the media deal to make sure that that it is, in fact, a strong media deal. Because it sounds like no one has seen the media deal to this point, and that George really hasn't even shown any numbers, and that's one of the reasons Colorado left. I don't know. Did it strike you as odd that, that the OSU you know statement came out and it was just kind of Oregon State making this statement? It struck me as a little odd, um, but I, I, I do disagree with you, Judah. I, I don't think they did it because they were contacted by another conference. What I think they put it out there for is because they need the Pac-12 to survive, to be relevant, or else they're going to the Mountain West. Like, I don't see the Big 12 going after Oregon State and Corvallis. I think they would go after Arizona. I think they'd go after UConn. I think they'd go after Gonzaga before they would go after Oregon State. So I don't think that Oregon State really has anywhere else to go. And so the fact that they put out a statement is because they need and want the Pac-12 to stay together a lot and they need it because or else they're going to be in the mountain West. And so I don't, yeah. I just don't think they have anywhere to go. So I, I don't believe that they got contacted. I don't believe they put that out because they're contacted. I think they put it out because they want the pack 12 stay relevant and this is what they have to do. So they're saying, you know what? We're going to stand by the pack. We're going to go down with the ship or uh, we're going to, we're going to sink or swim with them. That's what we're going to do with this. So the floating stuff on Twitter that said, Hey, Oregon, State I don't buy it. I don't buy it for a minute. I don't buy that for a second. Yeah. Not even a little bit. Guys, I wonder if that was Oregon State themselves trying to plant a few things out there that, just that to see could, how it was received. I think that could be possibly true. And to that end, I think, yeah, that means that they were they were interested in exploring their options enough to plant stuff out there. But I don't, media. I don't think anybody else would put out seeds to try to look out for Oregon State. I don't think the Big Twelve is out there calling Scott Barnes and say, "Hey, what do you guys think about this?" I don't think Brad Bjormark's doing that. I think he's contacted well, a lot of other schools, but but not Oregon State. The reason why I think I think you you might be right. But they're in the the Pacific time zone, you know, like that, that to me is just one other, you know, edge that you can get as a big 12. You're looking at the most vulnerable, you know, Pacific time zone school, because obviously you got Colorado that gives you the mountain time zone, but you're going to pick off one more vulnerable Pacific time zone school. Why not? Why not make it Oregon State or Washington State? You know, because. 
obviously it's all about the time zones. I think it doesn't matter. It's all about the I time think, zones. I think these San guys. Diego State is more. It would be a better option for the Big Twelve than Oregon State. I think they would contact them first before they would contact Oregon State. But it's it makes them stronger to poach another Pac-12 school because you're crumbling a Pac-12 conference. You're not. You're not to take one from the Mountain West is not as advantageous as I, taking one from the. Pack. I do agree with that, but I don't think Oregon State makes that much. The reason why I say Colorado was a big difference maker is because they have Coach Prime and they have a lot of momentum going with them. I know Oregon State's yeah. winning football well, and, games, and, but and outside of you know that momentum, the actual football momentum, Denver, Denver's a bigger market than Dallas or Eugene. Extra time zone, yeah. Right? So I, I just, I just don't see where Oregon State is leaving or would be even contacted to leave to go to yeah. a bigger conference. If anything. They are trying to keep the Pac-12 to stay relevant, so maybe they're floating these out like, hey, look, you know, we really love the Pac-12. This is a viable conference. Let's get some teams involved. Come on, George, get off your seat and uh, you know, start inviting some teams. 503-417-7575. I want to flesh that out a little bit more when we come back. Is it best for the Beavers to stay in this conference, and what happens to them if, if the conference goes down? Uh, what's best for the Ducks? Stay in this conference and help out the Beavs? Honestly... That connection between Oregon and Oregon State, rivals on the field, but you got to be friends off of it in order for this thing to survive. We all need each other, and it's really up to to the Ducks and the Beavs to see this thing through. Oh, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, Bald Face Truth. Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Bible three four one seven seventy five seventy five. Going to take a couple of calls here as well on all things Pac twelve, Big twelve, etc. Let's go out to Bend, Oregon first. Dave is in Bend. Dave, what's on your mind? Hey guys, uh, why don't we just cut to the chase and take all of this uh, drama out of it, and maybe your Mark and Klyukov come to terms of, you know what? Why don't we just combine the Big 12 and the Pac-12 and make it a Super 24? <laughs> if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, I think, yeah, that, that would be a lot of fun athletically. The Alliance Part 2? The, the Alliance Part 2. This time, we mean it. This time, it's, uh, it, it's, it's legit. Yeah, I like I like that idea from an athletic standpoint. Unfortunately, you know what really needs to happen is we got to bypass these presidents. <laughs> this is the the crux of it is we got to stop using the term student athlete. Now I don't know if I fully believe that what I just said right there because I, I it, look it, it's college athletics, but. Of any conference, the Pac-12 puts the most emphasis on the student part of student-athlete. And it's costing them athletic opportunities. So, that's what's going on. Big 12, obviously, isn't prioritizing the student part. They're doing, their presidents are fine with anything Brett wants it, to do. They're doing it. Same with the Big minor, Ten. Same with the ACCs. Definitely same with the SEC. It's not quite minor league football yet, though. Or is it? No, it's it's not. But it's... It's definitely not what. But it's not. It's not you're not going to school and then playing football. Yeah, on you're the not side. a student athlete, but you're not See, quite. We're, like we're a getting to the inevitable um, 
we're, we're getting to the inevitable, you know, place where the student-athlete term has gone under tons of stress to the point where it's getting to a breaking point. Realignment is just the latest evidence of said breaking point. Let's go out to line two. I think it's Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Hey, you guys. Hey, what's on your mind today? Hey, man. Um, th this has happened before. Uh, back in, in, in 1959, now I was only three years old at the time, but this a similar thing to this happened. There was a scandal in, in the Pac-8 at the time, and uh, at UCLA, I, I can't remember what the scandal was, but the, the conference broke apart, and, of course, they, they kicked out Oregon, Oregon State, and Washington State. And, of course, the, you know, uh, uh, the, two Cal the four California schools and Washington were still in the conference. In 1963, I believe, they reconstituted again. So Oregon was uh, and Oregon State and Washington State were actually um, uh, independent for a while. And, uh, you guys, the bottom line is this problem isn't going away. Um, the, the, you know, Larry Scott, for as bad as he was, he did say one thing that did make a lot of sense. He says conferences make no sense. <laughs> Thanks for the call. And we're up against the hour, so that's, that's why we got you back on hold. But I appreciate that. Hey, I always love historical context. Whether or not it's got present-day um, applicability, I don't know, but I love learning what things I didn't know. So you've supplied that. We'll keep this thing moving into the happy hour. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights. In for John Canzano, here's Judah Newby with the bald-faced truth. All right, let's finish strong here on a Friday BFT. Welcome into the show, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, with you two hours down, one to go. Chime in at 503-417-7575. What's next for Oregon State? What's next for Oregon and the Pac-12 Conference? Are you worried? Are you feeling fine? Sometimes, sometimes in high-stress moments, there's some of us as humans, and I put myself in this group, it's easier to become a little reclusive. It's easier to step away from conflict and just mind your own damn business. Part of me as a college football fan is in that camp. I'm like, you know what? I'm above the fray. I'm above the trauma. I'm going to step away. You guys figure out whatever you need to figure out. And then as a college football fan, I'll come back to you in the fall and I'll just watch. Now, I can't really afford myself said uh, said action because I'm I'm in the media. I'm hosting this show. I'm supposed to be abreast with every nook and cranny and every ebb and flow of the storyline and narrative. And that part's kind of fun too. Shadow side can be exhausting, but on the bright side, and that day like today is definitely the bright side, it's fun to banner around some of the possibilities. Now, things get real if this conference implodes. I think we're far way away from the backpack because we prioritize academics in this conference. So I don't call it the pack nine. I'm calling it the backpack because school, school over everything. If the backpack implodes though, then uh, athletically you, you got a problem. And uh, I think we might be getting a little, we're uncomfortably close to that possibility. 
to me, the keys to opening the door, the uh, the door to implosion, as it were, they're being held by Rob Mullins and Phil Knight. That that's my opinion. I really think Oregon is the domino that determines the fate of this of this thing. The fascinating thing is what allegiance does Oregon have with their rival Oregon State, and if they really are committed to one another, then I think this conference is going to be ultimately okay. I don't even think I'm, I'm being just too wrapped up in my own geography. I legitimately think that Oregon assessing its own future and Oregon State's allegiance to Oregon, um, that's going to determine the fate of this thing. And I don't think that's oversimplifying it either. John Cazzano at Media Day, that was just one week ago, just seven short days ago in Las Vegas, was uh, talking to Rob Mullins and asked him straight up about Oregon's viewpoint on all of the changing landscape. You and I had talked um, off air about uh, realignment expansion, the media rights deal. Just want to get Oregon's viewpoint. You know, you've got a new president. Yes. But what's Oregon's motivation as it pertains to membership in the Pac-12? Well, obviously the Pac-12 has been Pac-10, Pac-8, Pacific Coast Conference. Pac-12 has been um, great for the University of Oregon. Uh, We appreciate the alliances and the partnerships that we have uh, with all the West Coast and Mountain schools, and it's extremely important to us. So we've been working really hard uh, to make sure that we can get to a deal that allows us to remain competitive and remain competitive in a changing landscape because we're allowed to do a lot more now, and those resources do matter. That media deal does matter, not only from the direct revenue from the media, but the exposure. Um, and so and, and, you know, we're very proud that we can drive a lot of that. When you look at the metrics, particularly over the last 10, 12 years, uh, of the ratings, of the interest, of the social media following, um, so uh, we, we've been working hard uh, to make sure that we're good partners and doing everything that we can to get that deal across the finish line. I, I keep saying what matters to Oregon is getting access to the playoff. But don't let me speak for you. Is that oversimplification? No, no. I mean, that's extremely important. Again, as we talked about when yeah. the playoffs started, you know, that, that I mean, that's, it's become the focus of college football. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, there's a lot of unintended consequences in that. But, I mean, that is a huge piece. Um, and when you have the investment that we have in the sport, uh, then absolutely uh, that is a big piece of it. And, uh, maintaining some of these traditional rivalries, playing games where your fans can can get to, uh, is important as well. Get on it. Access to the playoff is very very important. Maintaining those traditional rivalries, playing games that your fans can get to, that's important as well. Do you think if the Big Ten reaches out to Oregon, Oregon could potentially be like, you got to bring the bees with you? <laughs> You want us? Take the bees with us. Dude, a 30 for 30 has got to be written on this stuff anyway. But if that happens, that will be my favorite movie of all time. That'd be pretty sick. Can you imagine? I mean, what little brother out there, and I am a little brother, you, you fight with your older brother all the time when you're growing up. There's rivalries. You annoy your older brother, yada, yada, yada. Then every so often... You play sports against your older brother and you beat him. Like 2016, 2020, and 2022. The last three meetings at Younger Brother's house, Younger Brother's won. But older brother still is, uh, he's richer than you. 
he has a better job. You know, he's established with, with his family. You know, he got a better degree than you did. He's he's bigger than you physically as well. And, uh, you know, he, he's he's all that. Well, what, what happens if you get in trouble, little brother? Do you want all that rivalry with your older brother to mean that he's not going to help you out? The end of the movie would be so would be a tearjerker if the older brother reaches down to the to the little brother hanging off the cliff and says, "Hey, I'll help you. I'll yeah. help you, man. Come up with me. We're just gonna grab my hand. Just grab my hand. Talk about Titanic theme song. I will ball my eyes out if the Big Ten invites Oregon and Oregon says we'll come. You got to bring Oregon State too. <laughs> That would be the best thing ever, ever. And that's coming. My favorite day of the year is the Civil War Day, the rivalry day, favorite day, every day, you know, and I'm more of an NFL fan than a college fan in terms of like the Seahawks are my most intense fandom because I've rooted for Oregon and Oregon State alike. And I think that's that's why Civil War Day is like my favorite day of the year, especially on a Black Friday. But if they are able to stay together, you know, I selfishly will be able to maintain that as as a favorite day on the calendar. Splitting up and then sharing a rivalry a la Florida State, Florida, cross-conference. That's still okay, I guess, but it, it won't quite feel the same, I don't think. But it would still matter at the very least. But I just don't know that they would be able to maintain that that rivalry in whatever conference they end up in if they end up in separate conferences. So... I'm fascinated by Oregon's next move. I really think they're the biggest domino, and their allegiance to Oregon State in particular will be revealed. Oregon State's come out with a statement, say we're loyal to the Pac-12 and we trust a media deal that puts us all in a good position is going to be made manifest. I've yet to see such a statement made by Oregon Athletics. And we'll see if that happens. I don't think it will happen. George better get this thing done, done fast. Otherwise, Rob Mullins knows ex- he knows all the people with the college football playoff committee. He knows all the people involved. He knows exactly, exactly what will position Oregon up for success, short term and long term. Fascinated by it. Let's do the five and five. Five biggest stories going on today. The five and five. Oh man, Stephen, what do you got? Man, I didn't mean to uh, make you cry about this thing. I know, but. I choked out. I just want that I want that to be written so bad that Oregon reaches out to Oregon State and says, come with us. Save yourself. I could see Oregon doing it. I think it'd be great. All right. Uh, and then the next the next year, Oregon State beats them. <laughs> then they're like, why did we do this? <laughs> we asked for it. All right. First story here. The NBA. They send a they send a memo out to every single team discussing Damian Lillard's trade request that he made on July 1st. Him and Aaron Goodwin, of course, the news has been that it will be Miami or bust for the Trailblazer star. The NBA has put out a memo saying that they interviewed Damian Lillard, they interviewed the agent Aaron Goodwin, they interviewed numerous teams about what actually has been said behind closed doors. All that stuff was out in the public. What has been said behind closed doors, just in case Dame does get traded to a different team besides Miami, would he report and by all accounts, the memo says that Aaron Goodwin has been consistent with his messaging behind the scenes and that Damian Lillard would report to other teams if it was not Miami and if that they continue to say things in the public, 
there could be some ramifications, whether it's suspension or fines, something like that. We've seen a fine before. Anthony Davis was fined $50,000 in his trade request to the LA Lakers just for singling out the one team. Judah, is this uh, going to open the door for a Damian Lillard trade soon? Or, uh, you know, or, or is this just kind of, you know, the NBA just saying, just calm down a little bit. Do all this stuff behind closed doors. Don't do it out in the public. Well, I think to your timeline point, this is probably one of the reasons why a trade hasn't happened yet is because uh, the NBA had to investigate exactly what the hell is going on. And so that's I'm sure Blazers in Miami probably haven't even been talking in the last couple of weeks. Not only because Summer League you know, is over and all the in-person stuff has probably been put on hold to a degree, but also because the NBA said, stop talking. We got to investigate exactly what the hell's going on. So, A, that's why a deal hasn't been done yet, and it's it's been taking so long. And then, B, to your point, yeah, I think the NBA is absolutely trying to send a message. And I guess potentially Dame could be dealt to a third team. This is definitely good for Joe Cronin because now, behind the scenes or out in public, there's an actual market for Damian Lillard, and it's not just pigeonholed to Miami. Ultimately, he ends up in Miami. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I still think that Miami is the favorite. Have um, you seen the odds change at all since this memo? I don't know what it was right before the memo. I did check it out. Miami still is the favorite. They're minus 250. The Blazers were second at plus 400. And we've been talking about that a lot, how this could you know roll into the training camp and into preseason, into the regular season. And then the question would be, well, if Dame's still on the Blazers roster, does he report to training camp? I think it does. And I think this memo kind of says so, you know, because they talked about Lillard and Goodwin. Uh, they told the NBA that he would fulfill his contract regardless of where he was traded. I think that would go with the same thing of if he's not traded, he would still fulfill that contract and he would play for the Portland Trailblazers. Very interesting uh, point in that one. I just don't know that the Blazers would want him to play. If he gets hurt, then your trade get back is like cut out at the knees. Like the whole point of trading him was to get the big get back. Like he asked for the trade request. It's not really going to – everybody thinks it's going to be a feel-good thing if he stays in Portland and then plays. I don't. He asked for the trade request. The timeline for him to play doesn't make any sense. Trade him. Don't let him play. Don't let him step on the court again representing the Trailblazers. Not anything personal. He's the one that asked for the trade. I mean, come on. Letting him play is gives you no advantage as a franchise at all. Outside of a little bit of goodwill with the fan base, except he's going to get traded ultimately anyway. Just do it before training camp so we don't have to get to this point and get as much back in return as you can. Really, this means a Dame Miami trade. At least when it happens, it will be on the up and up. At least that's the perception the NBA wants to have. They say it's fine for him to get to Miami, but it had to have looked a little bit better than the way it was looking in the first couple of weeks. So I don't know, but. At least we had news on it. <laughs> Something has been happening the last couple of weeks that we didn't know, and that investigation is what uh, has been happening. All right, number two. Number two, Joe Burrow. Looks like he has avoided serious injury, as we saw Joe Burrow go down at practice yesterday. Non-contact. He was held, holding his calf. Looks like it's going to be a strained calf. Reports are coming out that says he should probably be ready for week one. Here's Adam Schefter talking about uh, the strained calf and how Joe Burrow may not actually practice for the rest of the preseason. The Bengals believe that Joe Burrow has a strained calf. You'll notice that when he went down on that particular play, he already had his right calf wrapped 
in a black sleeve. And that black sleeve was on there because the day before, he experienced tightness in that calf during practice. So he goes down yesterday, gets carted off the field, and any time one of the best players in football, one of the best players in all the sports, is carted off, it's cause for alarm. It's cause for even more alarm, considering that one day before, Justin Herbert signed the richest contract in NFL history, and Joe Burrow is tracking to beat that contract. And Joe Burrow's agent already has kept Nick Bosa out of the 49ers camp. He didn't even report until he has a new contract. So considering the injury, considering his contractual situation, there's a real chance that we will not see Joe Burrow back on the practice field again until he has a new contract that makes him the highest paid player in NFL history. And Joe Burrow, does he practice until he gets that contract? Because he will, you know, Justin Herbert got the big contract. Burrow's going to get higher than Herbert. I think that's why he let Herbert get that contract first so Burrow knew what to shoot for, and he's the highest paid guy. I can't imagine Joe Burrow's on the field, practice field, or the preseason field before he gets a contract. Hey, let's let's go way cynical with it. Burrow faked the injury so he wouldn't have to practice until he gets his deal. No, I'm just kidding. That's an NFL move. Right? He, that's he a vet move. That right is there. a vet, vet move right there. Uh, no, he is not going to be practicing again. Frankly, I was kind of surprised that if he had experienced tightness the day before, why would you go out there and practice again? Like, is is the practice that important, especially at this time in your career when you are days away from signing, from resetting the QB market? Maybe Burrow is just fearless. He is kind of that way, and he doesn't want the money to uh, to dictate the way he approaches practice. Neither does Justin Herbert. That's why Herbert got his deal done before training camp started. Because Herbert was like, I'm not letting this hang over my head before I t take the field with my team. It matters too much. So he got the deal before training camp started. And therefore, they're, you know, therefore sacrificing that he's going to get a lesser number than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow, to his credit, he didn't have his deal yet and he practiced. Like, you know, a lot of QBs would not do that. They would just hold, hold out. Obviously sharing the agent with Nick Bosa, and Nick Bosa obviously is not practicing right now because he is holding out for the contract. At least Burrow showed up and practiced, but thank God it's not an Achilles or anything worse because that would have been the worst story out of all of this would be something season-ending or even multiple week, you know, into the regular season. At least he's going to be okay, but yeah, no way he practices before he resets the QB market, and rightfully so, in my opinion. Number three. Well, we saw Sean Payton get the new head coaching job in Denver with the Broncos. He came out and he said that the Nathaniel Hackett coaching staff was one of the worst coaching performances in the NFL history. Something to that nature. You know, not word for word, but that, that's pretty, what he said. Pretty close. <laughs> pretty close of what he said. Um, but today, he, uh, he came out and he had a comment about that, saying that he had his Fox hat on, not his coach's hat on. Here was Sean Payton today reestablishing what he meant to say and how he needs to uh, keep his mouth shut a little bit when it comes to coaching. Yeah, listen, I had I had one of those moments where I still had my Fox hat on and, and not my coaching hat on. And, uh, you know, I said this to the team in the meeting yesterday. We've had a great offseason relative to that, you know, and I've been preaching that message. And here I am, the veteran, um, you know, stepping in it. And, uh, you know, it was it was a learning experience for me. It was a mistake, obviously. I needed a little bit more filter. I didn't have a problem with it because, you know, Nathaniel Hackett was terrible, and I kind of like, you know, when people are truthful. You know, we, we talk about the Dame thing. I don't have a problem with Dame coming out and saying I want to play in Miami. I think it's good. We I like to hear this stuff 
what people, what the coaches and players actually want. I like the fact that Sean Payton thought that Nathaniel Hackett sucked and he did a terrible job. And basically now, now that Sean Payton's there, the Broncos are going to be good. They're going to make the playoffs. Russell Wilson's going to be Russell Wilson again. I love it. I didn't want to retract it. I don't like the retraction here, but I understand what he's saying. Uh, you know, he had this Fox hat on. It was a nice little excuse that he had going on there, but it just seemed like uh, I want more of it. I want more of this beef between coaches. I think it's more fun. It, it gives us plenty to talk about. That's that's for sure. It felt unnecessary. I mean, you compare Sean Payton standing in the league to Nathaniel Hackett. It's like, I mean, we talk about big brother, little brother. This is like, you know, cousin beating up on little cousin who's like 15 years younger than him. Um I like the fox hat excuse. That's kind of funny. That, uh, that's good. Hackett, I think, is a g- fine offensive coordinator. I mean, you're a Jags fan. He was the one that was the play caller for your Jaguars team that almost made the Super Bowl. Mortals. Like, he he knows <laughs> how to, to call play. The only reason he was in Denver, you would think, was to lure Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. So he was in a position to fail once Rodgers didn't get there. He wasn't there to coach Russell Wilson, who we already know needs some unique circumstances to be successful. Yeah, Hackett was in over his head. I'm a little bit surprised. He's the son of a longtime head coach and Paul Hackett. I would have thought he's been in football forever. I would have thought he would have suited the role a lot better than he did, but he clearly was in over his head. So for Sean Payton to, I let, you know, Sean Payton's harsh comments came in print, you know, and that's a lot different giving a print interview to Jarrett Bell, longtime NFL writer, Jarrett Bell. I've had him on the show. Great, great guy. But it sounds a lot different when it's being talked about on every show, you know, everywhere. And I'm glad he's walking it back a little bit, but I'm also with you. I'm kind of glad that he put it out there because what he's really doing is saying Russell's struggles are on the uh, the coaching staff and not on Russell Wilson, which is a logical thing to say when you're trying to take over and empower your star quarterback making a boatload of money. I love I love a little rivalry. So I, you know, I was happy when he said, it. "Take yeah. it back." I mean, I get it. I get why he has to take it back, but eh, let's get a little more round. Who are you more excited about or more optimistic about this year, Broncos or Jets? Is it close? <laughs> that I would say, I think the Jets are better, considerably better. But I do think the Broncos have a chance to mm-hmm. not compete for the AFC. I don't think they're that good, but I do think they have a chance to compete, compete for the playoffs. There's just a version of the Broncos that's like Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, two future Hall of Famers, and that team sounds here man. we freaking go, you know? And they lost a lot of guys last season with injury. Javante Williams got hurt. Uh, Tim Patrick, one of the receivers that got hurt, like they'll be healthier this year. They also um, signed a couple big dudes on the offensive yeah. line. Ben Powers from the Ravens. You know that defense guard. is going to be good. Yeah. Like that's... Mike McGlinchey from the Niners signed him for a big deal to play right tackle. That's going to shore up a line that was pretty bad last year. And you know that they want to be good. That's the thing. Denver wants to be good. They want to be relevant. I think that they will be comp- competing for a playoffs about this year. I really Especially like that. Especially seven teams making the playoffs. They should be in the mix. That's for sure. You hope so. All right, number four. Number four. Well, we know Colorado left the Pac-12 for the Big 12, and uh, the Big 12, according to Heather, Heather Dinich, is still looking to add another team. Bum, bum, bum. So they're at 14 this year because they got Cincinnati, Houston, BYU, and UCF. They will officially be in the Big 12 this season, but then after this year, going into next year, Texas and Oklahoma leave, which means 12, but then they add Colorado 13. Uh, Brett Yormark has said that 14 seems like the perfect number. So the Big 12 is still looking to expand even after getting and poaching Colorado away from the Pac-12. The rumored teams, of course, look like it could be Arizona has been one of the favorites. UConn could be a team because now that they have a football program that's not as terrible as it once was with Jim Mora. I mean, they're still pretty bad, but, you know, 
they could be in the conference as well for uh, football. And then Gonzaga is the other one that they've been talking about as they're only a basketball team, uh, but they're one of the best basketball teams, and that would be in the best basketball conference. So, Judah, the Big 12 looks to be added another team. Are they going to get one of their choices in either Arizona, UConn, or Gonzaga, or are they going to have to go off the board and maybe go from uh, you know, one of the group of six conferences? Well, I think Arizona is obviously the that, – that's the key one. But I don't know if Arizona goes. People say if Arizona goes, it's all over for the pack. And even though I think things are fragile – I don't think that the pack is done if Arizona leaves, but you, it, the pack is done if Oregon leaves. Oregon's the be-all, end-all with this conference. But if Arizona leaves, I don't think that it's it's at least it's not immediate in the implosion. What do you think? If Arizona goes, is it over? That's what people are saying on the streets. I, That's what the kids are saying. I kind of think. X. I kind of think so. Really? Yeah. Yo, you lose two of your teams that have been. It's not that they're relevant, but you know, again, they're they've been in the Power Five conference for so long, and it's not only that you're adding to your conference, you're taking away from the other conference. It's the addition and the subtraction. I think it's the combination of that. So I think, yeah, I think I think it would be the beginning of the end if Arizona were to bolt and go over to the Big Twelve. I think it's tough yeah. to replace two of those teams, you know, with with smaller teams as of now that don't have the reputation. Number five. Well, number five, we are approaching the Major League Baseball trade deadline. Hoping the Mariners make a deal. They need some moves. But uh, the Dodgers, they add a couple guys. Lance Lynn, Joe Kelly, former Dodgers as well. But you know, Shohei Otani just keeps on raking. We talked about it the other day. He pitched a one-hit shutout and hit two, or, uh, hit two home runs in the doubleheader. Tonight, he hit a home run as well. Already? Yeah, in, the, <laughs> in his first at-bat in the first inning for the Angels. Oh. Um, you know, just Major League Baseball getting down to the nitty-gritty here. Teams trying, trying to decide who's going for it, who's buying, who's selling. Um, as we're getting close to the Major League Baseball playoffs, we've got about 60-ish games, 50, 60 games left. Season's winding up, uh, rounding up pretty well, pretty soon. And then uh, we got college football. Judah, I don't know if you saw this. Five weeks from today, there will be college football on TV. Okay. You want to know the games? On Friday? Friday, there will be six FBS college football games five weeks from today. Hit me. Howard taking on Eastern Michigan. Get lined up for that one. Miami of Ohio versus Miami, Florida. Battle of the Miamis. Central Michigan versus Michigan State. Louisville taking on Georgia Tech. Missouri State, Kansas. And then Stanford at Hawaii. That'll be the Hmm. 8 p.m. special on CBS Sports Network. You know Steven will have money on that game and sweating it because why not? Money on, I don't know yet. I don't know what the spread is. I got to look. I got to do a little more research before I make that spread. But I think yeah. you like Stanford, so that's why. I was... You know this the Steven specialist. I love the the Hawaii game, late night game. The rest of the us best. are chasing with that game, but you are predetermining a bet yeah. that night. Yeah. See, I'm all, all I'm already do. putting it in the bankroll. Yeah. I know I'm going to be chasing, but it's already going to be a part of the bankroll. That's the five at five. It is getting close, man. Five weeks from week zero. When we come back, let's go through the Beavers and Ducks schedules as promised and uh, go through exactly the wins and the losses. That'll be coming up next. And your call is at 503-417-7575. Do you want Oregon to leave? Do you want Oregon to stay? What do you think is best for the University of Oregon? Because I could go either way. And that rhymes. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, Friday, Bald Face Truth. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game.
Friday, Bald Face Truth, Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn, and for John Cazzano, who will be back Monday. Can't wait to hear John crack the mic Monday and see what he's got to say on all that's gone on this week. It's been uh, it's been a wild ride. Uh, let's take a quick detour from all the Pac-12 drama, at least off the field, and talk about a little bit on the field. Stephen, Beaver's schedule, 2023. I want to go through it with you and the Ducks as well. I'm going to get out a uh, patent paper. I know you've done this already, but I, I need to get mine starting to marinate as well. My official predictions will come uh, week one of the season, or at least before week one of the season, but i got to flesh this thing out. Let's start with the Beavers' non-conference. At San Jose State, UC Davis, San Diego State, weeks one, two, three. Oregon State's record after those three games will be? Uh, 3-0. No. I agree. Which is... The most precarious, UC Davis. Yes, no, and probably, <laughs> probably San Jose State just because it's on the road. I, you know, I, I trust or I learned last year. I learned from last year, Oregon State. I got to trust them at Razor Stadium every single time. And it's not that they're going to win every game, but even the tough games they had, like against USC, you know, they covered that game. They beat some really good teams at home the last two seasons. They've lost one game, one game, Judah at home the last two years. Um, I have no questions about that San Diego State game. It was the USC game, wasn't it? It was. Uh, a note on the San Jose San Jose State series: the Beavers have won four straight over the Spartans since 1987. They've covered four of the last five games since 1982. The favorite is three and two in these meetings, straight up, but just one and four against the spread. In the only prior trip to San Jose, which was 1988. Oregon State was a 10-point underdog, but pulled off the outright upset 41-27. So there you go. Yeah, I'm circling that one as well. Sunday, 12:30 CBS. That's going to be a lot of fun and a very unique. Like I always whenever the Beavers have been on CBS, it's been a Sun Bowl. Yeah. It's been it'll be cool to see the Beavers on my couch on CBS on a Sunday afternoon in a regular season game. I will never forget that. I'm a sucker for the aesthetics of all that, which is why it's great. media rights kind of matters to me. But for that experience, that will be cool to see the Beavers on CBS. Totally agree. Um, and, you know, having said that, I I don't think the Beavers are going to have really any problem with San Jose State. I think it might be a little closer than we expect. The spread right now is up to seventeen points. Beavers are favored by seventeen. I would take San Jose State plus the points, but I think Oregon State handles it yeah. by two touchdowns, probably at least double digit points. I, I don't think they really have a problem. I just have some questions I want to see um, before you know going forward with DJ Uyunglele and that defense. But I don't think San Jose State will cause too much of a problem for the bees. I think they get it done pretty easily. And, you know, the non-con seems like they're going to go 3-0. I think they're 3-0 as well. Let's go through the conference games two at a time. First conference game's at Wazoo. Second conference game, short week, home to Utah Friday night. Beavers do what in those games? 1-1, 2-0? I want to say... 0-2? You could answer any way right there, Judah, and I wouldn't argue it. Like, you could argue any way that happens... I initially wrote down this, and I and I did this. I picked every single game in the Pac-12. I did this maybe like two months ago because I was just so excited. I originally have Oregon State down for a loss at Washington State. And the reason why I said that and I thought that was because going back to last year, Oregon went up to Pullman. They had that tough game. They should have lost to Washington State as well. That was the first conference game. Not that I think or, or Washington State's better than Oregon State, but again, it's just the new the newness of the team. And DJ Uyunglele's first conference game is going to be on the road at Pullman. Not ideal situation. I've, I've swapped my mind a little bit. I think Oregon State gets that win. 
And I think they go one and one. I think they mm. lose to Utah mm. uh, in Ooh. Corvallis, actually. Mm. I think that would be a loss. Mm. I think I, I, or they, maybe it could be the other way around. Maybe they beat, lose to Washington State, beat Utah, but I think they go one and one in that situation. I also think they go one on one. I don't know which is the loss. I'll have to figure that one out in the week leading up. But what do you say? Would be I like more batching. Likely? I think the Wazoo is actually probably more likely, just because Friday night at Reezer, I'm picking the beefs. Yeah, it's gonna get weird. Yeah. So, well, I mean, it's just the home field is like I'm just gonna. It's a bet on spot for me with well, Oregon those Friday State. night games are always kind of they're a little they're a little, a little funky. frisky. Road trip to Pullman. For your conference opener, what does that sound like? That's what the Ducks did last year, and we know that that game got real frisky, and uh, Oregon was kind of fortunate to pull it out, but but they did. Great job for them. So I'd say they go 1-1, one one, so they're 4-1 and one through five weeks. Next two games, then bye week. At Cal, UCLA, at home, and bye week. So at Cal versus Chip, and then your bye week. How do you do versus Cal and UCLA for the Beefs? Man, I don't know. You know, talking to Spencer McLaughlin yesterday on the show, he, he loves Cal. Cal, yeah, he loves him. And, you know, having that game be in Berkeley, I think it's going to be very tough. I do have the Beefs for a win in that game. Uh, but, you know, I I could see where that could be a loss as well. But I think the Beefs probably get the dub over Cal. They've had good success over them the last few years. Uh, I'd give them a win. I'd give them a win over UCLA as well. I got them a 6-1 right now. I agree. I got them a 6-1 and one going into the bye week, and uh, they are flying high with the only loss being either at Wazoo or versus Utah, probably at Wazoo. All right, off the bye week, they are at Arizona. Arizona is also on their bye week. It's at Arizona, then at Colorado. Call me crazy here. I think Arizona is going to get the win on this one. Uh, at Arizona. Mm, you're fading Jonathan Smith on a bye, off a bye I, week? I am. Uh, I like what uh, Jet Fish is doing in Tucson. I think that they're going to be you know close to, close to a bowl team. Uh, six, seven wins I think is a tough place to play. And I know that the physicality that Oregon State has over Arizona and that bad defense could be helpful, but that offense is going to be flying, flying down in Tucson. And we've seen some trouble uh, in the past with teams go down there. I think Oregon State actually loses that game, but I have them a win over Colorado. So uh, that'd be seven and two at that point, at that moment. I'll give them two wins on the road, but I think your logic makes all the sense in the world. Uh, I'll just do one standalone game here. Home versus Stanford. That's, That's a, win. a win. That's a win. All right, so I got them at 9-1 and because I have them winning Arizona-Colorado versus Stanford. Then the last two are, this Oof. is going to make or break the season, right? I mean, this is how college football works. Some games matter more than others. And the last two for the Beavers matter probably more than the rest outside of, you could argue, the Friday-Utah game. Home to Washington and at the Oregon Ducks. I got, I got double L's on that one, unfortunately. Really? I think I yeah, have ended with a two-game losing streak. I think Washington uh, is really good. I think Oregon is probably – I think Oregon right now is going to get the Pac-12 title game if I had to pick right now at this moment. And so I think Oregon is going to need that win. Having it be at Odson, I think that's going to just be a tough spot to win. And I think Oregon State wraps it up with two L's and uh, finishes out 8-4, and four, which, again, is, is under the 8.5 wins in the win total. But I think they're right there. And I think they're competitive in all these losses as well. I don't think there are really any blowouts, but I think they probably lose that game mm. uh, to Oregon and to Washington. All right, I got them going one and one in those games, either beating Oregon or or losing or beating Washington, but uh, but losing the other. Uh, notably, of course, Oregon State has not won at Oregon since 2007 in that overtime game. So I got them at ten and two. Going through that though, ten and two, I was like, wow. Wow. So you had you That's had them losing to good. Oregon and who was the other one? The either Wazoo or Utah. But okay. I, I said Wazoo. I mean, if they get two losses, I mean that's Pac-12 potential, Pac-12 title yeah. game potential there. Yeah, no doubt. 
no doubt. I, right I'll have to go through the other games and, and see if yeah. that's the case. But even if they go nine and three, I mean, they're they're in it. You know, depending on who you're beating and who you're losing to, that's for, that's for sure. What is the toughest stretch for you? Thinking of Oregon State, is it the first two conference games or the last two conference games? Because the last two are definitely against the better teams. But the first two, man, at Washington State, that is a tough way to open up your conference schedule with a new quarterback, yeah. with some new defensive pieces, and then Utah, who plays a unique style of football. Like, they want to pound you. They want to be physical. I mean, that, those are two tough games to start yeah, out with. You're totally right. I mean, it really comes down to how you open and how you close with one sneaky Arizona game in there in the middle. Um, I, I still have to say it's the last two, only because that's the strength of UW and Oregon. Like, they're that much more talented than Wazoo. But the spot of Wazoo, the conference opener in Wazoo is getting better but they're still not close to to the talent that UW and Oregon poses. And then Utah, again, they don't have the talent that yeah. UW and Oregon has, but in the in history it hasn't mattered. The fact that it's Friday at Reeser is the tipping point for me. And if those if those were, you know, split if it was Wazoo at home and Utah on the road, which we literally saw last year, then I think, you know, it'd be different. Utah would be the L, but the Razor component, I'm going to favor the Beavers, and therefore the UW-Oregon stretch is, is going to be a little tougher. But this is a fascinating year. The Utah game will be interesting because Cam Rising, we still don't know if he's going to be ready to go week one. I think by week five, he's probably back for sure. Yeah. Right? Like conference games, I think he's back. So I think that'll you know throw a little wrinkle on that. It, it's very interesting schedule because we talked to Dashiell, who said they could be 10-0. We talked to TJ Matthewson. He thinks they could be 11-0. The middle of that schedule is winnable, right? At Cal. At, then home UCLA at Arizona at Colorado home Stanford like those are five winnable games where you're probably going to be favored in all of them yeah. I would guess I would guess you'd be favored in every single one of those games in the middle of the season so if you do get by Washington get by Utah you have five games where you're favored in yeah going into the end of the season you know Phil Steele has their schedule difficulty at number fifty seven out of, you know, 130-some-odd teams. That's, so. that's pretty low for a Power 5 team. Yeah, so this is definitely the time to capitalize on the perceived weak schedule. That is in Oregon State's favor, that's for sure. 10-2, and two, regular season. Man, I wrote, I just write that down. I'm like, that is so big. <laughs> do I really think they can do that? I might have to find a third loss in there. Just hey, to, uh, could, no, it, it, It's it, the defense. I love Trent Bray, but do I really think a defense that loses as much as they lost is going to be better. Believe in you your gut, I mean? Judah. Believe in your gut. You tend to. Well, this is the first time I've gone through the schedule. Right, like right, really okay, right. of it, so. but right. Let's do the same with Oregon after the break as we round out a Friday bald-faced truth. Stephen Vaughn, Judah Nubian for John Cazzano. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. All right, so I had the Beavers going ten and two. Stephen had the Beavers going eight and four in the regular season. So we differ a little slightly on that. Let's do it for the Ducks now. Final segment: Friday Baldface Truth. Judah Newby, Stephen Vaughn. A full schedule Friday. A full schedule Friday. Hashtag full schedule Friday. FSF. Uh, John will be back in the chair Monday. I know we're all highly anticipating that. All right, Ducks non-con. Here we go. Portland State at home at Texas Tech versus Hawaii. The Oregon Ducks will be what after those three games? Man, um, I'm going to go two and one. 
I'd flip flop in this. Such a hater. I have flip flopped on this game probably seventy five times already. The but, Portland State game. Yeah, Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii had Austin. No, the Texas Tech game. It, it's gonna be a really good game, and the Texas Tech offense is really good. If people don't know about it, uh, go check it out. Go look at their stats from last season. They're bringing back a lot. Um, I, I just think I don't. I don't. I need to see the Oregon defense first, Judah. I need to see them play well in a big time spot on the road. True road game in Lubbock. Gonna be a crazy environment. I think Texas Tech is gonna get the win over Oregon. Doesn't mean I think Oregon's not gonna compete for a Pac-12 title, but I think that they get the I, they get an L right there in week two, and it's gonna be a little hit uh, to the Pac-12. Four o'clock on Fox. It's gonna be just a great atmosphere. Oregon has won both prior meetings with the Red Raiders, but those go all the way back to 1991 and 1992 against current Big 12 teams. The Ducks are an overall record of 17, 18, and one. Spread-wise, since 2000, Oregon is 7-7 seven and seven against the spread against uh, current Big 12 teams. Uh, the Ducks did win the last meeting in 91, 28-13 uh, against uh, Texas Tech. And that goes back to my research I did earlier. Oregon playing a true road game in the state of Texas. Obviously, it does not happen often. Normally, when they go to Texas, it's to play a bowl game or a neutral site game in Jerry World. You have to go back to... Uh, I think Houston in a season opener in like 2004 was the last time they played a true road game in Texas. And that's Houston. The last time they played a current power five team, obviously Houston, I guess is current power five, but you get my point would be the Texas tech games in the 91, 92 seasons. And so it's been a long time since you've been in a Texas atmosphere for a true road game like that. Yeah, it's going to be tough. Texas Tech went eight and four last season under their first coach, first year coach Joe McGuire. Uh, you'll know the quarterback yeah. Tyler Sheck, former Duck. He'll be the quarterback there for Texas Tech. But uh, this is a team that a lot of people are high on this season, and they think that they you know have a chance heard, to take yeah. a step up. Some people say they could be this year's TCU. Yeah, that's I mean that's the kind of stuff that they they're and talking about. Shuck's played well when he's been healthy there. He's just gone back to back seasons with a broken collarbone. I, well, I believe <laughs> so I believe Shuck is undefeated. Or at least was undefeated last season when he started. When he when he started and finished right. a game. Yes. That's the stat, right? He has not lost at Texas Tech when he started and finished a game. I, I think Oregon wins. Yeah, I think it's a great game, but I think I think it's three and zero. The conference opener is against Coach Prime, and then the week after that, they visit Stanford. Oregon does what in those? That's games? an easy two and zero. We've talked about the Coach Prime thing. This could be a spot where uh, Oregon really wants to put it on Coach Prime in Colorado for leaving, and then Stanford. You know, no home field advantage. They're rebuilding. I think it's an easy two wins there. They're they're uh, four and one heading into the bye week. The bye week it hits. I think they're five and zero. Oh, you think they're four and a one? They come out of the bye week and they take on their rivals in Seattle. Washington is also off a of bye week. You better believe this will get one of the top TV slots on <sighs> Saturday, October fourteenth, when Washington takes on Oregon in Seattle. Quick peek at Washington's. Uh, schedule obviously you know they have the Michigan State non-con but they should take care of that uh, Cal and Arizona yeah UW should be undefeated as well so that's the stakes it's probably the biggest game in college football on October 14th how does Oregon do early betting line on this one Washington one and a half point favorites uh, you can throw that <laughs> bet out right now for one of the games of the year but uh, I think Washington gets the win I think Washington gets the win up in Seattle they have their number I just I again it's it goes back to the defensive thing and I may change on game day or you know the weeks leading up to it but I just trust Michael Penix and Kalen DeBoer a little more than I trust Dan Lanning to be able to coach up that defense on on that side of the ball I, I just didn't see it last season 
I trust DeBoer a little bit more than Lanning. So I think, you know, going up to Seattle, I think Washington will get that win. Uh, but, you know, did you uh, ask about the next game too, or not? No, not not okay, yet. Just I, that was so important. That I just stuck with that one. I so. I, I, I stopped listening because I was looking at the point spread. So, <laughs> I, I agree. Uh, yeah, I think they lose to Washington. They're four and two and they get the first loss in the conference. All right, I think they lose as well. But you know, wake wake me up on October thirteenth, and I'll I'll have that pick. But I I think all the reasons you said are correct. I also think the defense should improve over the course of the season for Oregon. And the bye week helps, but there's still just enough new pieces that they've added that they expect to be good. Uh, Evan Williams, Jordan Birch, Jackson from Alabama at corner, the the safety they got from Ole Miss. These are good players individually, but they're going to get better together as the season goes on. And I don't know that the defense as a collective unit will be where it needs to be to slow down the best passing attack in the nation. Home to Wazoo October 21st. At Utah, October twenty eighth. How does Oregon do in those two weeks? I think they're two and zero in those one. Uh, you know, I think they get the win. Jeez. Yeah, I think they get the win over Washington State. I think they go down, go down to Utah and get the win. I, I, the thing about Utah is, and they are, I think they're less talented this year than they've been in a little bit. And I just think Oregon can go down to Utah and can out talent them there. And so I think Oregon's going to get the bounce back. Double wins over Washington State and Utah. They go to 6-2, and two and they're right, wow. in the, right in the thick of it for the Pac-12 title. All right. Uh, Cal's a win, right, for yes. for both of us at yep. home. So I actually think they lose at Utah and beat Cal. So I, we're both having Oregon at 7-2 and two going into the USC game November 11th. You have two conference losses, though. I have just the one. Correct. My two conference losses are UW and Utah, and your – Mine is Washington. You have Texas Tech and UW. Yes. All right. That actually good point because that obviously affects who goes to Vegas. Yeah. Uh, how do they do against USC November 11th? Home game. Last time USC is probably coming to Eugene. I got USC winning. I, I think USC is head and shoulders above everyone in the conference. And maybe that's just Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley coming back. But I think that they are. I think the defense is going to be much improved. I believe in USC is going to be in the Pac-12 title game for sure. It's just a matter of who they play. I think USC gets the win in Eugene uh, in their final game up in Eugene. I so agree. And this is seven and three. Okay, so now you got to get back up and avoid a letdown and against Kenny Dilly Dilly. Dilly Dilly. Arizona State on the road November eighteenth. Now this was Oregon State's game last year. I remember the game before the yeah. Civil War was at Arizona State, and they were like favored by maybe seven and a half. And I was like, like oh, oh, no. and they blew them out of the water. How does Oregon respond? Yeah, I agree. I think it's the uh, same exact thing where, you know, week of, I'll probably be like thinking like, you know, this is a tough spot, and then Oregon blows them out. I think Oregon gets the win. I agree. That sets up the Black Friday game with Oregon State at Austin Stadium November 24th. Uh, on the count, I'll, I'll count down three, two, and one, and then we'll both say at the same time what we think if it's a win or a loss. Three, two, one. Win. win. Oh, uh, yeah. You think they beat the Beavers and that Autzen streak continues? Yeah, uh, early point spread is uh, eight-point favorites, Oregon. Jeez, they've got that? Yeah, they got USC, Oregon, too. Oregon's three-point favorites against USC at home. Hmm. But I I just think Oregon gets the win, uh, you know, a little payback for last season at Autzen. It's tough to beat them twice in a row. Oregon finishes nine and three, two losses in the conference. I think uh, they got a shot at Vegas. Probably not going to go there. So I have them at nine and three with three conference losses. You have them at nine and three with two conference losses. Yeah. And that is obviously a big, big difference. It's going to be fun. Can't wait. That means I've got the Beebs going to Vegas right now. Ooh. I got to figure. 
I got to sit over the weekend and feel like that's really what I'm going to ride with. Love it. It's a pleasure being here. John will be back in the chair Monday. Thanks for hanging out on the Bald Face Truth, Judah Newby and Stephen Vaughn. Find a podcast if you missed it. Shout out Spencer McLaughlin doing a great work hosting the show Thursday as well. John will be back Monday. Have a wonderful weekend, everybody. Talk to you then.